Hey there, this is Jay Blake Fischera of the Score to Death Radio and Saturday Night Movie Sleepover Podcasts. And I'm also the author of the Score to Death book series. With the Score to Death books, I explored the craft of creating horror film music through detailed interviews with many of the genre's greatest composers. And now I am turning the books into a documentary. Production is already underway, but we really have only just begun. If you're listening to this between September 27th and November 1st of 2022, you can help make the definitive documentary about horror film music a reality. And while you're at it, also pick up some very cool tier rewards. So if you love horror movies and or film music, head over to Kickstarter and support Score to Death, the dark art of scary movie music. And keep up with the film's progress on social media by following at Score to Death or at scoretodeath.com. and welcome to The Pod and the Pendulum, the show that covers all horror movie franchises, one movie in one episode at a time. I am your host, Mike Snoonian, and I am not alone. We have a huge panel tonight for this movie, so let's go round and round. Uh, up first, you've read her work on her review site, We Who Walk Here, along with Slash Film, Dread Central, and Film Cred, where she's a content editor. Miss Jessica Scott, welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here, especially with this amazing and very large group. <laughs> this is an awesome crew right here. This is, we have like, I would call a murderer's row, yes. basically, of podcasters tonight. So I'm super excited mm -hmm. as my cat shoves my microphone into my face. Up next, you've read her work on Rue Morgue, Dread Central, Daily Grindhouse, among others. She is one of the leading voices in discussing film scores and music and horror. And you've also caught her on The Losers Club. Welcome back, Rachel Reeves. Rachel, how are we? Oh, I am good. And I am so excited to talk about this. And um, yeah, I love this. I love Halloween ends. I'm just going to say it right now so everybody knows what to expect. So yeah. Throwing the cards right down on the table right away. Well, like, I mean, apparently there's only two options, right? You either love it or hate it. So, it's, just, you know. It, right. That's it. We cannot. <laughs> there's a, Well, it's funny because it's IMDb is a five out of ten. So it's like right in the, right middle. In the middle. So See? for every one star, someone's giving it a ten star. That has to be it. You're right. Yep. We also have back with us, she's joined us for a few of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre episodes, and she also runs the podcast Bodies in Horror, which explores disability, which explores disability through the lens of horror films. Ms. Nicole Goble, welcome back. Hello. Hello. I'm excited to be talking about the best Halloween entry uh, since Halloween 6. Wow. <laughs> Wow. One of our panelists, their face just went like dropped right there. It's like a Jerry Springer moment when you would pan to the crowd and someone would go, oh, no, you didn't. Because I think this next person is going to say this Halloween H2O erasure will not stand. 
Uh, reading her complete resume might take longer than some of our actual shows, but you have read her works on Bloody Disgusting, Dread Central, Rue Morgue, Grimm Magazine, and Gould's Magazine, to name a few. She's also a member of the Losers Club, the preeminent podcast for all things Stephen King, and she is the host of Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast where she has to put up with my <laughs> shtick every week. Welcome back after far too long, Miss Jen Adams. Jen, how are we? Hey, I'm good. I'm excited to talk about hot guys in Halloween and, mm-hmm. you know, just if we talk about movies too, that's fun. But yeah. <laughs> would you care to, would you care to address Nicole's slanderous statement? You have 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, Halloween H2O is my favorite of the films, mostly because of how hot Josh Hartnett is in it, but I also love it. But also um, Halloween six is the one with um, Paul, Paul Rudd. Rudd and he's pretty dreamy too. So I was going to say, know, Nicole could see you. Nicole and he wears a sweater and he wears he does. a sweater. Hmm. And I he mean, has the power of the runes. What more can you ask for, you know? I did just rewatch Curse this past week. I threw it on, um, I think, Monday night. And I watched the producer's cut. I do really like that movie a lot. And I think between the two takes, there is like a fantastic like Halloween movie. But all right. After all those introductions, thank you for turning into part one of our episode. And... <laughs> join us next week and we actually talk about Halloween ends. I kid, of course, but we are here to talk about probably the most controversial and most divisive horror movie of the year. And certainly the one that um, has like the fans the most divided since maybe Rob Zombie's controversial take in 2007. I'm really looking forward to talking about this one and having an open discussion because podcasts that keep secrets don't get custard. So let's talk (laughs) Halloween ends. Okay. Love that line. I just need to sneak that line into everything. Mm. Um, So before we get into the movie proper, let's just give our initial, like, just throw our cards down, initial brief first thoughts about the movie and whether we caught it like in theaters with an audience or at home streaming on Peacock. Jen, as our featured guest, why don't you lead things off? Um, well, I saw it in theaters. I saw it a couple of days before it released at a screening. So I was sitting with my critic buddies and we were talking about like what we expected and none of us were excited. We were like, meh, you know, it's going to be fine. Um, and I remember just sitting kind of in awe of how bonkers it was. And like, as the movie progressed, I was like, one, what is going on? And two, this is kind of incredible, even though I, it doesn't make any sense. And so after I was talking, I can't take credit for this review, but it is exactly how I feel. My friend Dom said, it's like watching trash burn. At first you're like, this is trash, but I like fire. And that's, <laughs> I think I couldn't sum up my feelings any better. Like it's like a glorious disaster that I mm-hmm. had a really fun time. Excellent. Story of my sex life. <laughs> Moving <laughs> along. Sorry. Moving right along. Nicole, your first thoughts. Uh, so I saw it at home. I actually went over to a friend who was just, I think, introduced to the Halloween series last year with Kills. Um, we did like a full day marathon and then watched Kills. And so um, it was a nice fall, rainy, chilly mm. night, and we got to snuggle up and, and watch it. And I loved it from 
second to. Um, I just thought it was so wild and I was in for the ride. Okay. You were in, you were on board. And Jessica, how about you follow that up? <laughs> um, I watched it at home as well. I watched it on Peacock uh, several days after it came out. So I already had mm-hmm. a good idea of what I thought the movie was, uh, but I wasn't quite prepared for exactly how strange it is. <laughs> um, I'm not sure that I think it is a good movie, but I had a hell of a lot of fun with it. I am sure. completely fascinated by it. Um it's, you know, I just, it's so strange and I'm so excited to get into it with everybody because I haven't really, it's one of those movies where I'm like, I don't know if I like it or if I'm just fascinated and I don't know if it's good, but I enjoyed it. It's, I'm, my thoughts are kind of all over the place. So I'm not a, I hated it or I loved it. I'm just like, that is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so, okay. So the befuddled, you're yeah. befuddled. Pl- pleasantly Excellent. befuddled. I enjoyed pleasantly being befuddled. befuddled. Yeah. Excellent. Rachel, how about yourself? Oh, yeah. Loved it. Like the opening scene. I know we're going to talk about it, but like as soon as that was, I was like, <laughs> all right, I'm in. Like it was already like not what I was expecting. And I watched it on Peacock because basically I felt like I couldn't, I was seeing, you know, people talk about it and people that I knew talk about it in a positive way, which I was not expecting necessarily. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Cause I didn't, I liked the first one. And Halloween Kills, I wasn't like mad about it, but I also didn't love it. It was just kind of like, okay, all right, that's funny. And then, so this one, I just kind of went in open-minded, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I was really shocked how much I loved it and kind of where it went. And a lot of the elements just were, I don't know, you know, when you see something, you're like, yes, that was like made for me. There's like Mm -hmm. elements of this movie that I just felt was like, oh. You know the way to Excellent. my heart. So, Excellent. Yeah. Well, I know for me, I was going to try to avoid it opening weekend because I was out at the Telluride Horror Show and I'm like, I really want to see this, if not in theaters, then I want to watch it like projected at mm-hmm. home. But I wound up like knowing that I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to avoid not only like the discourse in the movie, but like the spoilers as well. Like I wanted to go in without knowing a lot about the movie. So I wound up watching it with some friends out at Telluride. Like we went back to our condo and threw it on. And I think it might've been the perfect way to watch the movie. Cause I think on that first viewing, if I watched it, I would have been pretty ticked off that I made the trip out and spent like hard earned money on it. Um, and if I watched it home alone, it might be one of those things where like stop the movie, like every 15 minutes, do something else. Like, I don't know if I would have, as it was like, we paused it at about 45 minutes in all looked at one another and said, what the fucking fuck. And then like got another drink basically. And then continued to say, what the fuck it's simultaneously. Like it might be the worst horror movie I've watched this year, but I don't hate this movie. And I've started to, I I actually secretly love all the conversation around it. Um, So I think I said this when we talked about 
kills. I am pretty lucky in that the people that I follow and converse with, like even when they don't like a movie, they tend not to attack other people for liking it. It's just yeah. like, here's why I hate this movie, but you're cool though. Um, so I kind of love all this discourse. And to be honest, like watch rewatching it for the show. Like I watched it two more times for the show and squeezed in like a reading of the novelization to go along with it. And watching it that second time and not having like the expectations and kind of knowing what's coming. I'm like, all right, there actually is a lot to really like about this movie. And the persons that are saying 10 years from now, like this will be a camp classic or a midnight movie, or we'll get the Halloween three, like why Halloween ends is good. Actually treatment. I think that even with its flaws. Yeah. I think that that that's probably going to happen. I think we're going to, look back and like this more um i will say reading the novelization it does go down a lot easier rewatching it after that like it the novelization fills in a lot of holes and um it does make some of the f- parts of the film that are problems more glaring so it's kind of like why didn't you talk about this but oh i i was just gonna say it's really interesting hearing everyone kind of give their first impressions because I think a lot of it seems really rooted in, not rooted in, but like kind of a mindful navigation of discourse and conversations Mm -hmm. happening about the film. But being completely off of social media, I, that was a complete non-factor. Like Mm -hmm. I had, there were no conversations happening in my world about it. And I think that was an interesting way to enter it because I you know, with kills, it was every conversation, yep. every voice, every noise. And going into this, I was like, I don't know. We'll see. Um, and I think that that it was kind of exciting to enter into the experience that way because it, not that those experiences have ever really, I think, completely shifted my take of a film or influenced a film in a real profound way for me, because I think at the end of the day, you have to sit with it and it's your experience. But I, I just, I don't know. It was one of the first horror films that I was like, I know nothing about what anyone else thinks of this film. And that's so bizarre to me. Like I'm coming into this with no idea, no spoilers, no nothing, no, Oh my God, watch out for this. So it, I, it, I think that that also really impacted the overall experience for me in terms of how it finished. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I can see like just watching this movie on its own and knowing next to nothing about it would give someone it. And I guess too, it would depend on like how attached to, Halloween as a franchise and Michael Myers as a character, one would be how much it might influence her way of thinking. Um, I will say that like, I mean, we tend to be like terminally online film people, right? I mean, we're on line way too much. What? A little bit, you think? A little bit. Guilty. Um, And sometimes like we don't are ways of thinking don't always match up like what the public thinks about a movie when they're just looking for something to watch on a Friday night on a fun date night out. 
But it looks like like the audience reaction and the critic reaction seem to be pretty hand in hand with this one. It's not like one where the critics hate it. It's like, oh, Ernest goes to space. Like <laughs> this is the death of cinema right here. And, and an audience that would be is, the death of cinema. Too. And it has like a you know A plus cinema score on on. Um, <laughs> on a plus cinema score and Roger Ebert like rotates in his grave angrily. Um, it seems like the general, Oh my God, that is adorable. Sorry. The general reaction is, um, what is your dog's take on Halloween? Eds? I was going to say Rambo wanted everybody to know that he hated it. Oh. Was like, this movie. He said, so, not my Michael Myers. Yes. <laughs> it, it it does feel like critics and fans are kind of like in line with this one, which I think is pretty interesting. So where I wanted to start tonight is where we usually don't start. Um, but I want to talk about the score in the music of this movie, because one of like what convinced me that I don't actually hate this movie. I'm like, I can't hate a movie that has like a soundtrack this banging. Like, I'm sorry, it's too good. And my initial impression, like the first two entries, you know, John Carpenter comes back. He's joined by his son, Cody. And those two first scores for Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills, like they're a lot more muscular. Like they're really big. They're really bombastic. I think of like the shape returns and the shape hunts Allison. And those are like walk around in the middle of the night, put your headphones on and listen to those scores. And when the, since really kick in you're like what the fuck i just had a heart attack um <laughs> this is really quieter and gentler and it reflects like Corey's character even the theme there's like more of like this tinkling in the background and it feels like it's like Corey kind of shadowing like michael's return but i kind of wanted to get like rachel your opinion of the score and you know carpenter's work as a whole over these this trilogy yeah i mean i really like the first two this one mm-hmm. i mean i like all the classic i really enjoy what they've done with like how many times they've had to reinvent mm-hmm. these themes mm-hmm. and like not just john carpenter but every composer that's worked on a halloween film like jesus christ <laughs> like there's so many different interpretations of this music mm-hmm. and so I, I i enjoy what they've been able to do and i like that beefier sound this one is to me the least my least favorite of the sure. three to be honest i think that there's there's some kind of cheesy some cheesy music i think in parts like the cherry blossom song it's a lot of like the <laughs> those quieter moments mm-hmm. i feel like it's a little i don't know a little saccharine a little i don't know i don't really care for some of the melodies and i think coupled with some of the dialogue and what they're saying. I don't think it's doing any, like it's not making some of that, you know, questionable writing Mm -hmm. any better. (laughs) I think it's actually making it a little bit worse. Um, Okay. So that's, that's my take. And not that it's bad. I just, if I had to like rank them, I think this would be my least favorite of the three, but the soundtrack soundtrack is awesome. Do you feel like perhaps like, because this story is like a lot more about a doomed romance than a slasher villain that like that is part of the reason that might be outside of Carpenter's typical wheelhouse. Totally. I th- yeah, we've got different characters. So he had to create some different themes, some different, you know, motifs and melodies and stuff like that and work it into the Halloween. So it is an interesting challenge, I think for mm-hmm. sure. I just, 
I'm not 100% sold on some of that. Some of, some of it's okay. Like some of the Corey stuff I do enjoy. There's just a few tracks here and there. So I'm being hard on it, but it's mm-hmm. John Carpenter. So I mean, you know. <laughs> I don't don't think it gives you, the new stuff doesn't, there's nothing that jumps out as like an iconic score. Like there's nothing no. like the shape stocks or the theme to Halloween that you're going to go back to and listen to later on. But I thought like the, especially the music in the opening scheme with when the parents arrive home, it's the score is so quiet and mm-hmm. it just adds this real good sense of foreboding. Like that was like a really effective use. Like that was the music I liked. Yeah. I, I kind of agreed. Like I was not a huge fan of the score, but the soundtrack, anytime you use the cramps, like a radio DJ who really likes the cramps, I'm sold. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought it was a great soundtrack and I, I kind of, like the cheesy vibe fits, but that doesn't necessarily make it a good score. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I'm, but I'm easy. I, when you have the dead Kennedys and the cramps and I'm, yeah. I'm going to bump up your grade, at least a half star automatically. I think the soundtrack in a lot of ways, um, one, sorry, I love the soundtrack. It was really fun. And I, you know, it's been a while since I've really been invested in like downloading a playlist, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, part of the score, because I agree with you, I think that is part of what is lending people to say that it doesn't feel like a Halloween movie, because Mm. I just don't, like, I enjoyed it at times, and I don't want them to overuse that theme, you know, and I feel like some movies are really guilty of that, but it just, like, I feel like the sound of it just didn't feel as much like Halloween as I was expecting and really wanting. It's kind of like um, it feels like the score equivalent of that Halloween three typeface at the very beginning. You know, it's like this is slightly different than what you're expecting. It's not necessarily bad. It's just not like I didn't feel Halloween running through my, my veins the entire mm-hmm. time. You know. I really liked the score. I think for some reason, and it, this just could have been, I don't know, something that struck me in watching it. It felt a little bit more in moments throwback 80s sim Mm -hmm. in a very specific way that the other scores hadn't um even the scores that introduced a lot more synth it just felt a little bit more pointed in that way and then you add in some of the soundtrack um i think kind of doubles down on that the soundtrack is of course i think really great and it's great that this is a halloween film that allows a soundtrack to kind of tell its own story or be part of its own story as well. Because I mean, the other Halloween films don't necessarily have like a soundtrack. You have Creed. Um, <laughs> so I That's like, sad. so I like that, you know, you've got Sebado, you've got just some really standout, interesting tracks that fit within a story. You get, I think a really understated um, score that doesn't seem jarring at all. There's not a moment that you feel like it just completely rips you out of a scene. Mm-hmm. It maybe doesn't fit with the flow completely in a nice way, but it all just kind of sits well together. But yeah, I I, I, I have to agree with Rachel. I listen to a lot of um, the trilogy score um, kind of before and after I watch this. And I really do like this. I do think that the first two are, I think, of a different tier 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think much more, I think, um, they have much more of, I think, an intent to them. So, um, but yeah, I think it, the music really, even the friend I was watching it with, like, wow. It's like, I don't remember the music in a Halloween film being this good. And I'm like, huh. okay. <laughs> well, they're referring, to, referring to the, um, oops, sorry, I get <laughs> referring to um, the actual songs, though, is what you're saying, like not Carpenter's. Well, I think or, even the, the score, because I mean, to what Jin was saying, you have to be really careful not to, you know, beat the score over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And I think some entries dance such a line with that. And here I feel like it wasn't abrasive. Like you really, there are, there are stretches where I, I, you know, the score is definitely background. It's not mm-hmm. something that you really hone in on, which I think is, you know, good and maybe not great. So I don't know. I, I think it, it fits. I don't think it's going to be a standout. I don't think this is something that people are going to be like, you know, really pinning as a hallmark of Carpenter's work. But the Mondo reissue on vinyl. For <laughs> I mean, there $50. will be, but that's just. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, depending on your party, if you want to have this, you know, if you want to have some background music to it that's of this tier, I think that's great. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's. Um, I was actually listening to it, I think, the night after um, this board, particularly, the night after I was walking over to a friend's to car pumpkins and I'm like, Oh, this seems fitting. And I was like, yeah, it does kind of set a mood, but you don't really get like sucked into the world of mm-hmm. Haddonfield in yeah. the same way. Yeah. I, I think what it does do aside from the score, like that first track, like midnight monsters hop by Jack and Jim, like lets you know you're in for a party, like lets you know you're in for a little bit of a different vibe than you're, it, especially compared to the 2018 relaunch and Halloween Kills, which by and large are like pretty grim affairs, especially Halloween Kills. Like there are not a lot of levity in those movies. And I think you get some of that, more of that here in Halloween Ends. Now, whether that humor is always intentional might be up for debate. Um, But, Nicole, you just mentioned a party. Like, I'm thinking of that scene at the bar and how perfect the music is there. Like, I, what I think I ended up posting was, I don't know if I can hate a movie that uses License to Confuse by Sebado because that song just absolutely rips. Like, everything on Bake Sale rips. Um, My only complaint about it is that closing riff needs to be, like, 30 seconds long, not three seconds. But then you go from that, like, let's throw in the dead Kennedys for good measure right now. And then some cramps later on down the road. Like, this is like, there's some just great fucking music in this movie, which I don't think you always, like you said, all of have said, it's usually like John Carpenter's score and that's it. And the music is incidental after that. Yeah, I think there's one song in the 2018 movie. I've watched that one quite a few times mm-hmm. where they are at the the party at or the dance in the gym. And that song is okay but it's just very like teen pop like nondescript you know Mm -hmm. um and it always makes me think it's a different song and it like 
sticks in my head. And that's the only song song I can really think of in that movie. But this one has just a lot of them. And they all feel like they fit the same tone. Like the soundtrack feels very unified in a way that I don't know if the score really does. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Okay. I can buy that. And I think because you have like two, well, really you're serving four different characters and all of them, like Corey is such a different character from Michael that all of his music all the stuff that Carpenter created around it feels so much slighter for lack of a better Mm -hmm. term. Like it's much, much quieter than anything else. Um, Moving on from that, here's something I was thinking about when just thinking about how to talk about this movie and all the discussion around it. Like a lot of us will go to bat for like really cheesy movies from the eighties and nineties. Right. Like, I'll, like, yes. I, we were talking off air, like I, we were talking on air, how we bunch of us watched Curse of Michael Myers this week and how much we really like that movie, even though there are plot holes. You could literally drive like you could the high school marching band from Haddonfield in this movie could march <laughs> right through the plot f- holes <laughs> of this movie. Right. You could have a Michael Myers funeral procession. You could <laughs> right <holes>. through. <laughs> You know, why are we so much more forgiving and like downright nostalgic for these other movies that we know in our heart of hearts aren't great, but this one comes out and it's immediately the pitchforks are out right away. Like it's just, it goes like, it's like this movie slapped people's <laughs> favorite aunt. You know? Well, you said the, the magic word, and it's nostalgia. Mm-hmm. That's why in 10 years, people will look at this film, I think, with a slightly similarly colored nostalgia mm-hmm. lens. If this is, you know, maybe one of the first horror films that they're seeing in the theater or, mm-hmm. you know, something that they're growing up with in some way, um, it's nostalgia. Like, we can appreciate that these films are not mm-hmm. quality in terms of its execution and epic storylines and what have you. But I think that that's something too, that when we are now looking at films like this, we're able to, I think, come out with a bit of nuance to say, ah, you know, I can actually kind of see while, you know, why this works on a nostalgia level for me and why this film that's new kind of works on a similar thing. They're hitting, mm-hmm kind of similar sweet points they're evoking a feel of this is a kind of movie that would show on usa up all night um growing up so i i i get that i so i yeah it will it will be interesting to see how this film ages so nicole you just said the word quality there and that's kind of the one I want to hone in on. I think one of the things is like when Dwight Little makes Halloween four, he kind of knows he's not making high art. Like he's all right, we're making a fun teen slasher, and they know what they're doing, and it's a lot of fun. And maybe there's like some social context in there as well, but it's not like the be all end all. And I wonder if part of it is the team behind this movie feels like they're doing something bigger than just a slasher movie like green kind of treats this halloween franchise like it's what is his low budget kind of niche market independent movies like a george washington or snow angels and that's not really 
what this franchise is or what these horror franchises are. And it's almost like they think they're making high art, but they're kind of doing it in like a really, really clumsy way that also feels like self-congratulatory as well. Yes. That was what really rubbed me the wrong way with kills is I feel like there was this really heavy handed moralizing story that um, that worked for some people. I've read some essays where they just praised that movie and that I love that they got something out of it. I was really frustrated by that because I felt like they were trying to beat me over the head with a message. And I feel like there are a lot of plot holes in that movie too. And this one doesn't feel like it's really, tr- it feels like it's trying to tell a larger story and it's trying to kind of go in its own way, but it doesn't feel like it's trying to teach me a lesson by mm-hmm. watching it. And I think that's where, like the discourse hasn't really bothered me that much um, because I feel like a lot of it is just whether you enjoyed it or not and not like, oh, you're a good person because you got this message out of it or Mm -hmm. you're not because you didn't. Um, And so like when I think about whether I'm willing to forgive it for being dumb or for the plot holes, because there are like, I wrote an entire piece about like the 10 moments that don't make sense in this movie because there are a lot. Um, And how did you figure to cut off at 10? (laughs) I, they, my editor made me. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I could do 15, 20. He's like, well, let's just go for 10. Um, but uh, like, it's, I was kind of, the, I forgive it for being as like ballsy with its dumbness as it is. You know, it's like, I kept, I, I didn't have any idea what was going to happen next, you right. know, as I was watching it, you know? Well, I think that's a big part of it. So I, I mean, my short answer to this is the internet. <laughs> and I mean yeah. that is in a couple of different ways. Number one, movies these days have more <laughs> discourse than ever before, right? Like before when you rented a movie or whatever, cool, you talk to your friends and like how much further does it go? Like, I don't know, like there wasn't that much further that those opinions could really go, you know, pre-internet or whatever. And then also just the hype, the way that movies are hyped and, distrib- and distributed these days, I think streaming has made movies more disposable and just, you know, mm-hmm. cinema, TV, whatever. And these movies were so hyped. But what I liked about this one versus maybe how they marketed kills, I felt like kills, they delivered exactly what you saw in the trailers. I don't think mm-hmm. that there was yeah. any surprises, really, as far as like what we got. I think that they were pretty honest and showed a lot of what we got. And then this one they kept some things back. And so Mm -hmm. I think that helped them because when, I don't know, when I saw it, I was like, Oh, did not see that coming. And it's because Mm -hmm. they kept that information out of, you know, out of the public eye, which in the end, I think benefited how people received it. Jen, you were saying like ballsy with its dumbness. And do you think that David Gordon Green and Danny McBride and, and, and Jason Blum think they made a dumb movie? Or do you think that they're like, no, man, we're really saying something here about trauma and how it affects an individual and how it, like, I don't think they think they made a dumb movie. Like, I think they think that he made one of his, like, typical independent features that is, like, very smart and, like, you have to be of a certain intellect to understand what we're going for. Right, and I agree. I don't think... 
it, it, this is what I said about Kills. I love the movie that Kills thinks it is. And I don't like the movie that it actually is. Mm-hmm. And I think that if this were, and you and I have talked about this off air, like if some of these plot elements were sprinkled throughout the new green trilogy, I think mm-hmm. it would have resolved a lot of what frustrates me. Because when I say dumb, it's not necessarily that I don't believe what happens. It's that the logical leap I have to make to get to some of these places. Mm-hmm. Like that scene when Laurie's like beating the chair in the empty mm-hmm. house, like mm-hmm. that is rushing like 45 minutes of plot motivation. And so when I think about where these two characters begin and where they end, it doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. to me. And I'm like, what? And then when I think about the conclusion where Corey's story ends, I think, what are you doing here? Why did he do any of this? And I think it's not because mm. it doesn't make sense. I think it's just kind of that that feeling of like when, like you can't see your own flaws when you're so close to the story. You can't mm-hmm. see the pieces that don't make sense to somebody who hasn't been living and breathing the story for a year, right. you know? So like, it's like those narrative leaps, they just... I can't connect the dots. And so it feels like, what are we doing? You know? I think a lot of my issues with this trilogy as a whole is the way it tries to shoehorn things in. Um, There is a way to have a message and to relate it artfully. And there is a way to say mob mentality is bad. Boom. Did I just blow your mind? Like, you know, there's a way to tell a story in an artful way. And there's, you know, all the subtlety of a sledgehammer. And that's what kills is to me. And I think that bleeds into ends where they're, I I personally am not a fan of exploring how Michael's evil seeps into Haddonfield. That's not the approach of the story I like, but I think there's a, an interesting artful way to tell that story that I would have enjoyed much more as a whole for this trilogy, um, even if it's not the uh, approach to the character or the original film that I personally enjoy. But there's no, and I know people kind of uh, criticize when you say this, but there's no subtlety. There isn't, to me, not a lot of artfulness in the way that the message is related. Mm. And there's kind of a muddled, like, okay, you think mob mentality is bad. What else you got? Like, what else is the message? Because that's all I'm getting. So I trauma. I don't, if, trauma, 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 you know, like, uh, but no, I, there are things to talk about there, but you got to give me more than being part of a mob is bad. And here is 45 minutes of a mob screaming to really let you know that it's bad. I, you, you've right. got to have more to say and you've got to say it in a more artful way to me. Right. And I think what it does here, like this movie's not subtle at all. Like it is very literal in all of its intentions to the point like Lori literally reads you <laughs> the themes of the movie as she does her memoir mm-hmm. and like here is the binary choice suicide or cherry blossoms like evil never <laughs> changes its, evil never changes shape like with Corey, Corey like spells out the problem with the bully like oh you're a bully because your dad is mean to you too you're just like him because he's an asshole too like very literal and then at one point uh, when Corey and allison are, are like hanging out at the radio tower she looks at its hand his hand and goes oh your hand is it's getting infected just like Corey is getting <laughs> infected with the evil you get it you get it uh, yet 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, he like that. extends his hand toward Michael while he's killing the lady, and it's mm-hmm. like it's sucking the evil in. Yeah. I am so looking forward to the queer <sighs> readings of this movie that are going to be coming over the next few years. Like, because it's I'm usually one that poo poos a lot of it. I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe we're making a little too much of it. But this one, no. Like, there's going to be a lot of daddy michael discourse yeah mm-hmm. like i so i i was a little confused because somebody asked me what i was talking about but i i was tweeting about this as i watched it which is for me generally a big no-no but i just had to um and mm. i that is legitimately one of the most explicit gay sex scenes i've ever seen in a slasher movie like i oh yeah i would really want to talk about that on this episode okay yeah. let's we'll definitely do that so we'll make a note here we have the outline <laughs> of the outline so we can we can get to that um one thing i wanted to that you just said jess is like you aren't as interested in like the idea of like michael infecting this town mm-hmm. and i actually really like that like to me this movie borrows a lot from dennis etchinson's unused script for halloween 4 uh at least in terms of its theme and tone and remember listeners you can go back and listen to our dramatic reenactment of that script um i think we did it last halloween or 2020 it's one of those years it falls apart in about 20 minutes (laughs) so you might want to actually look up the actual script and read it if you want to really understand it um but like what you're seeing here is how tragedy and horror infect like a community over the course first of like 40 years and then it's turbocharged after 2018's events and how how Haddonfield is basically it's becoming like Rob Zombie's version of Haddonfield like it's becoming a bit sleazier it's becoming abandoned um it kind of borrows a little bit too much of the idea of the town being cursed from it like right down to like here's the standpipe going out into the <laughs> sewers. So much Stephen King so stuff much. here. Oh, like, I know. Like yeah. when he like when you you already mentioned like the bully that conversation. I'm like, oh, this is like Henry like Henry yes. Powers. Oh, I'm I know. Like, yeah, like he goes work. into the sewer. He says, "Show me." You know, I like, know. Right. No, Christine. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So much Christine, which is mm-hmm. I think a thousand and ten percent intentional. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. he from what I read, he handed as his script to John Carpenter and said, is this too much like Christine? And Carpenter's like, nah, man, go for it. Because like John Carpenter fun. doesn't give a shit. No, he just <laughs> yeah, doesn't. I mean, he's I like, really twice. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he right, just right. like takes a long puff of his like weed, throws on the Lakers game, throws on his Xbox headset. It's like, fucking do whatever you want, dude. Just put a check in my hand. Mm-hmm. Like That's why when people were like, oh, John Carpenter said this movie was good, actually. It's like, he doesn't care, man. He's like, just as long as he gets paid, he's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's talk this opening scene. Because I think this it's one of the strengths of the movie. I think it's like just super well executed. It's as perfect of an introduction to a new character as you can ask for. Just flawless. But I wonder what y'all's opinions are. And Rachel, I know you said like you love this movie. Like this is like uh, you said like The Godfather, Rambo, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and Halloween ends. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I'm arguing like Alien. Is that third or like, Mm -hmm. no, I think it's going to be Halloween. No, excellent. (laughs) Not, Not really. But I did love this opening because 
I mean, I didn't, I didn't expect the kid to die, <laughs> like let alone mm-hmm. in like such a dramatic fashion. And then just like the hard cut, I was just like, yes. <laughs> um, so I thought it, I thought it was great and brutal, and yeah, an introduction to the character that was wonderful. You get to, you know, you get to see him before, and it's just enough to like see you know what happens after and how you know this event just devastates him obviously Mm -hmm. so i think i think they did a great job in setting up the character this way i i am the president of the fuck them kids horror club i love it when a movie is audacious enough to kill off a kid um, so I was cheering. I, not that I like, I, I want to kill all your kids. No, but like, I, I'm a huge fan of when movies do that. Um, even, you know, not great movies. I'm just a big fan. And I, I, I'm with you, Mike. I think you think this is supposed to be funny. There are other parts in the film I think are hilarious that are not supposed to be like going into that drain pipe or whatever, where the kind of dragging the body in, that was hilarious. And I'm not sure it was supposed to be, but, Mm -hmm. but this part is so funny and I'm a big fan of comedic child killing. So I was just the way his body like pops up. Like (laughs) it's like like behind them, you know? So it's just like kind of in the, in the background a little bit. It's perfect timing. He was such a shit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I a think I would like, shit too, yeah, I'm like, know? Jeremy won't speak in class today. Well, they just like played with the audience setting it up, like, the, you mm-hmm. know, the doors open and the knife. And like, of course, you're thinking like, oh, is like, oh, is he here already? You know, so mm-hmm. I liked how they kind of played with expectations mm-hmm. and then just kind of pulled the rug out a little right. bit. And I, yeah, I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of like, all right, Michael is not around, but people are still afraid of him. Yeah. Like it's yeah. one year later, it's Halloween night, and it's like very natural mm-hmm. to be very afraid of him. And like watching Corey, his distress like amping up and amping up because the Corey you see at the beginning of this scene versus who he'll be even just after the credits feel like two different people still Mm -hmm. hot. Like I see Jen Uh fanning herself (laughs) off. Like it's just still like that mix between Michael Rooker and uh, McDreamy. I think is their genes combined with one another. Uh Nicole, let's say you. Put a sweater on Michael Rooker. I like it. I mean, I love the opening because it gives me, I think what is crucial to every successful Halloween film outside of my favorite part six, which is good, clean babysitting fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you gotta have, you gotta have that babysitting moment and you set it up so perfectly because I spent so much of my like teen years babysitting and I, to like this plays on both your worst nightmare and your fantasy of like some punk kid being a punk and getting thunked like (laughs) you have to do it and then but it's also your worst nightmare like you obviously don't want any harm to come to a kid in your care particularly and i love like jessica was saying it's so funny Mm -hmm. There's that really specific moment where Corey kind of hams to the camera of, we're going to have a great time tonight. And it's just so well done. The parents come home 
just at the perfect moment of Corey screaming, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> you little shit. Yeah. And it's so perfect. It is like Anna Martin, Babysitter's Club, Lost Edition. So great. And I think it also, it, I think it also really gets you in the mind frame of Corey of having this event. It's funny. It's supposed to be funny, but I think it's also absurd. I think it's one of those things that is so horrific for us to think about in reality, to be in charge of a kid and have something horrific happen to them that we understand from that next scene when we're introduced to him years later, this is someone who didn't have time to process Mm -hmm. what actually happened because everyone was like, you killed this kid. And he's like, it was a horrific accident, but he's not, no one is on that, that side with him. So I, it's such a great tone setting opening and i think it does what so many halloween films before it just could not Mm -hmm. end when you say absurd i think it's absurd for a few reasons one that house looks so out of place with like every other house you've ever seen in haddonfield like you have this ridiculous winding staircase and it's like five stories above the ground like it's just this giant giant like mcmansion of a home that is like super out of place with the rest of haddonfield you want dracula to be coming down the stairs exactly Mm -hmm. but then like Corey like posed over the banner like holding the bloody knife (laughs) in his hand as like mom looks up and yells what have you done and it's like all (laughs) echoey in uh Mm -hmm. and she's wearing a flapper uniform um it's just it's brilliant it's it is and like when because jeremy is like goes from being the sweet like let's make a paper airplane to like you're a dumbass babysitter (laughs) and the novelization he's even more of a little shit um he's just like just cuts right to the quick on like gets like really gets under Corey's skin very quickly um but it still manages to be a little scary when Corey is in the attic alone and kicking the door. Like you feel that tension with him. And then like all the air is out of the balloon when he kicks open the door and like Jeremy does a pratfall <laughs> over the railing. Like, like I'm with you, Jessica. I am team murder children yes. in movies. Like if there was a, like a, you know, if there was like the new trilogy from David Gordon Green, murder children and that was like the whole i'm like right here is my money i will be here five stars Mm -hmm. no notes Mm -hmm. i mean you know how we talk about the opening scene and scream being like a perfect little Mm -hmm. short i feel like we're going to be talking about this too in the same way um i have a friend i watched this with a couple of like normie friends who aren't super into horror like a couple of nights later and she gets really bad like anxiety and intrusive thoughts about her kids and i had to make her leave the room for this scene Mm -hmm. i was like i don't want this in your head because you're gonna Mm -hmm. just replay it over and over again she would, like, move into a ranch-style home. Like, she put her house. <laughs> exactly. Her. She's like, we just live underground her. now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's just fuck around and find out. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Like that, you know, and I agree with you. I I mean, I love my kids, but 
like kill them all in horror movies, you know? And yeah. I hate I it. I literally hit the like 10 second rewind, like five times laughing. When his <laughs> I didn't go that far. <laughs> Mike, have you seen Z? Yes. Oh. It reminds it, me it of ex- that fall in Z. It's exactly Z. that. Yeah. That was yeah, a Telluride which... horror, which Ooh. that one is actually terrifying because it's so oh, unexpected. Yeah. This one sets it up. Mm-hmm. You kind of know what's coming. You kind of know, yeah. like, and I think the other thing is, like, only Corey and Jeremy know what really happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With this. Mm-hmm. So even though it's like, oh, it's an accident, there's still that plausible, there's still that element of, like, well, was it really? There's only one person left alive who really knows what happened here. Um, and he has a motive to say it was this way. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And so, what I love about, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> The, the other thing that I really love about this is that as much as I love a courtroom drama, like we, we don't have to see Jeremy on trial. We don't see him deal. Like we cut immediately to like scruffy face, dirt bike, Corey. And mm-hmm. we, that's all the shorthand we need. Corey, the not quite Corey, the bad boy. Cause he's like, not a yet. Huffy, he's, he's bad boy adjacent. Right yeah, bad boy. <laughs> well, he's still drinking chocolate milk. Mm-hmm. He's still yeah. like, I get that you would choose chocolate milk over Heineken like <laughs> real yeah. <talk>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's just real talk but um yeah I I like that you also just set him up as a really good kind of out of their depth person mm-hmm. um you know someone that just wants to be there maybe make a few ducats and have a decent night and be chill so it Again, I think it sets up, it, it's a nice contrast to the comedy and absurdity because you do exit the opening with like, oh, that actually happened to to someone that was a, a seemingly like decent person with a pretty bright future in front of them. And, you know, not to mention, you know, mm-hmm. this ridiculous child. Um like we there there is it, it's a good balance of that humor but it does kind of sit with you i think a little bit longer because it's it's done really well and you're like oh yeah this actually this is gonna sting it's not just mm-hmm. laughs it's it, this is actually gonna resonate a bit yeah. with them i'll probably talk about this more later on but I wish that this scene opened the first of the three movies. Mm-hmm. I wish that Corey was introduced in Halloween 2018. And in that movie, you skip ahead. Like, you know, a little bit more about, all right, a year later, Michael gets out or whatever. And Corey is like a side character that you get to know a little more. And that Halloween kills doesn't completely take place after the first movie and you get to know Corey over two movies. And then this movie is what we're going to transition into like Halloween ends. Maybe there is no Michael at all. And you just have like this new shape, this new killer, which I think why so many people feel so strongly against this movie is it is kind of hard to introduce like a new character into the third movie of a trilogy and say, Hey, this thing that we like set up in the last movie and then like marketed, we don't really care about that even a little bit. What we're going to do is focus on this completely new character. 
how do y'all feel his arc is kind of handled in in this um well i agree with you that would have been amazing if they had or like he was in the background in halloween kills but i honestly don't think they had this whole thing planned out like that Mm -hmm. i think that this movie was a reaction to the response to halloween kills Mm -hmm. and they were like well let's uh let's try something a little different Um, and now for something completely different yeah i think that that would have made it because this this whole trilogy just feels really chaotic to me i don't think it functions well as a trilogy Mm -hmm. to be honest um but Corey's arc, I mean, I don't know if you want to get into it now, but I kind of, I kind of love it. <laughs> do it. That's 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 what we're here. Let's do it here because here's where we are. So tell me okay. what you love about it. So I mean, I have seen, I've heard people talk about the supernatural versus the non-supernatural aspect. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like how you all read that when he's in the cave and he's like face to face with Michael and what happens there, because personally. I don't think there's any supernatural stuff here at all. I agree. I don't. I just think David Gordon Green doesn't trust his audience to mm-hmm. not understand that, like, game reckon because, like, Michael's not going to say, "Oh, I see the evil in you, therefore I will let you live." Uh, it's he's not going to come out and say that. So David Gordon Green has to do this shortcut i think that's exactly where we paused the movie when we were watching it and said Mm. what the fuck did we just watch and now i kind of love it because it is such a sore thumb that it's like all right (laughs) if you're going to go dumb go really dumb well and i just saw it more as like this is the moment where Corey gives up he Mm -hmm. gave in to what everybody's telling him that he is he had he confronts this you know notorious killer and like kind of just reckons with the legacy and how people you know see Michael Myers and that sort of legacy and impact that he's had and is just like I'm tired of like everybody's telling me this is what I am so you know what fuck it I'm just gonna embrace it and he does I don't know maybe like it reminded me of that you know (laughs) that uh classic fight club line like it's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything and i think Mm -hmm. this is the moment where Corey is just like you know i'm just i'm not gonna fight it anymore and i'm just gonna embrace it and if that's what you think i am that's what i'm gonna be and i think that he just kind of embraces that i don't necessarily like the turn where he kind of turns possessive over allison i think Mm -hmm. that was taking it too far where he's like if i can't have her it's like that wasn't I didn't like that. And I don't think it was necessary. I think he should have just been like, all right, I'm just going to kill people. And I think mm-hmm. that they should have just stuck with that. But that's just me. I, I like that interpretation, how I read it. I think the movie not outsmarted itself, perhaps outdumbed itself by leaning so hard into yeah. here is what hap- is happening. Let me walk you through it. I assumed that there was some kind of psychic supernatural connection going on mm-hmm. because they pushed so hard. And because there were a couple of times at which Corey teleported and I was like, Oh, well, okay, he can do that now uh, because they were kind of leaning into the shape and the, the Leslie Vernon of it all. Um, but <laughs> I think all of this is just kind of evidence of like, we all like the movie that this is trying to be or that it wants to be, or that we like part some of the movies it's trying to be. Cause I think there are many different competing movies here. Um, but so I read it as 
Corey having a supernatural link, but I, I think that was them leading me astray by not trusting people, like you said, Mike. So I like the way you guys read it, and I, that's how I'm going to choose to see it from now on. But that's mm-hmm. not how I took it on initial viewing, just because, again, I don't think it was handled well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't think Corey teleports. <laughs> I will say that your enjoyment of this movie hinges completely on how willing you are to accept. Corey and Michael riding tandem on the back of Corey's motorcycle. (laughs) I love Michael just riding his arms around Corey, Mm -hmm. you know, again, little maybe dinosaur junior on the box right there as they, or maybe a little like, I don't know what would be. It's like just the two of us. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh Um, I think if you can accept Michael riding tandem (laughs) on the motorbike in order to get to his kills, Mm -hmm. you can enjoy this movie. I also like, mm-hmm. oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I just, no, you I first, just, Rachel. Go ahead. I just, I've heard people also be like, yeah, but they'd like, you know, in this one, like Lori's saying like, oh, he's more than a man and like, oh, but now he's not like she's inconsistent with how she's perceiving it. But honestly, I don't think that's a problem. I think it's her perspective. Like it's her giving him too much credit and saying like, he's more than a man. And then mm-hmm. in this one, she's like, he's just a man. And he's like taking you know, it's classic. I mean, it's nightmare. She's taking that power from him. So Maybe. I personally, that's how I see it. It's like, I don't think that's a bad thing. Her flip flopping how she's perceiving him. The only thing, the only argument against that is like how kills portrays Michael. Like he takes a beating that like, I've watched a lot of Hulk Hogan matches <laughs> in the eighties where he would Hulk up and like, even Hulk Hogan would be like, Nope, I'm not coming back from this one. Like he, takes a beating that should like absolutely murderize a person and is able to come back from it like no sweat so that's where the supernatural and i look at the first movie it goes back to him being just a man the next movie there's that supernatural here i see michael as an infection i do see michael as someone that does whatever is in his nature uh-huh. It's able to seep in and there we'll talk in the novelization. There are some things like one of the things it raises, like one of the ideas it raises if Michael recognizes that someone doesn't perceive him as a threat. Mm. If they recognize, if he recognizes himself in them, he leaves them alone. There are some people he runs into in the huh. years between that. He just like, Nope, like this person's not a threat to me. That's interesting. And that's what happens with Corey. He recognizes himself in Corey, and that's why he doesn't kill him. All right. What do you think, Nicole? I like the Corey arc because I think, to to what you were just saying, it fits perfectly. I think Michael sees in Corey kind of someone that Haddonfield gives no cares about. That is a blight on the town, just like he is. Um, they neither have any fans, so I think that he sees someone that I don't know. I feel like this is also a film that is saying goodbye to the characters mm-hmm. that we know of Lori and Michael, and so I also think you know, as on the nose as. You know, it is when Lori is saying evil doesn't die. It just takes a different shape. I think that that's kind of saying, like, 
the impact that Michael has had on this town will never go away yeah. in, in one way or another. And whether it's directly passed on to someone else or it's just the shared experience that we've all had mm-hmm. to go through of this terror and trauma. Um, I, I, I think that Corey is a really great kind of stand in for all of these things kind of coming together of someone that, um, is trying to find, I think a little bit of strength and a little bit of power and a little bit of autonomy in his life because he has none. Um, it's either his mom kind of pushing him around, his uncle kind of pushing him around at work, even though he's a great guy. Um, you know, he just feels really aimless. Mm-hmm. And I think that he sees someone with such a specific goal of murder that he's like, huh, well, I've done this. This is okay. I can learn. I can take notes. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't know. It's it's interesting. I agree about the relationship thing, although I don't know. I I end up kind of liking it as well. I think it adds something unique that we don't really see in a lot of the Halloween films, like an actual developed romance story. So I I really like that. I thought that's kind of cool to to see it um, kind of come together, but. Yeah, I, I like his arc. I think he's a really interesting character. And I, I agree. I think it would be great to have had some moments where we do establish him earlier in the series to get a little bit. I Because I, I think one of the criticisms that I've heard is that we don't understand, like we don't have the context of Corey right. prior to what happened. And if we would have had just a smaller inkling of that, it maybe would have made certain scenes and certain motivations seem a little bit stronger. So I, but I think it pays off extremely well. I know that, you know, when the synopsis came out, a lot of people just, you could hear a collective groan of like, what is this? What is this Corey business? Are you kidding me? And then, you know, people were like, actually this, this was kind of a cool thing to do because you're not dealing enough with of them though i mean not <laughs> yeah. enough people are, a lot of people are still saying what is this well i think i also no. i was gonna say i like there's something interesting in how it tries to differentiate itself from the original so much yet follow uh retroactively i think without a lot of forethought the structure of the first three films because this is trying to be halloween three obviously we've got the credits with the font and everything but very much uh where's michael even though you know there's plenty of michael myers in this movie but so many people are like where's michael where's michael which famously was the case with season of the witch and you know i think it's self-consciously trying to hew closely to that part of the uh, franchise's legacy but again i like jen said i don't think this was all planned out it feels like it's just kind of stumbling through and saying oh well, by the way this is a tribute to halloween 3 because it's kind of out of nowhere it just kind of feels like it's like a bull in the china shop that is carpenter's original creation mm-hmm. and i i say that as a huge season of the witch fan i that's my second favorite movie in the franchise um but i just think it's kind of stumbling into these things and trying to Again, I feel like I'm being harsher on this movie than like I enjoy this movie, but I I think it's yeah. still kind of 
clumsy. Oh, there's a lot of criticism. Yeah. yeah, there's to the point of like where a lot of people who love this movie say like, "Well, it takes big swings," and mm-hmm. it, it does, but it misses in a lot right. of those swings. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like talking about the big swings, you know, is a lot of fun to yeah. do. Um, yeah. One of the things, like you know, you talk about how this movie in the, the arc of the movies kind of does mirror a lot of what Carpenter did, including like with kills, it's all takes in place one night. A lot of it takes place in the hospital. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't have, it also like Corey's creation really, you look back at like Rob Zombie's Halloween and it's a lot of like, well, this is how Michael Myers was created. Like mm-hmm. you have like Corey who has like, for a different but still terrible home life like joan is amazing she's this mix like carrie's mom from carrie and mrs deagle from the gremlins like she's this really weird mix of terrible um but you have that you have him being bullied you have him being this kind of outsider and you put all of those things together in a perfect storm and eventually you get like a little psychopath but it's doing what was kind of already for like a a per for a a set of movies that are like we want to do our own thing it hues very very closely right down to like michael hiding out in the sewer for years while a homeless person watches over him which is straight out of halloween five it is like just this menagerie of like ideas from other movies mm-hmm. trying to do its own own thing with it exactly I, you know have you, have you heard the story of like gremlins 2 where they had like the board and everybody just like put an idea mm-hmm. up there that they wanted to do and they're like yeah it's in the movie <laughs> yep. you know like mm-hmm. yep. like the the key and peel yep. sketch like that um mm-hmm. And it's almost like they did that with this. They're like, all right, what's yep. your favorite Halloween moment? Like, yes. all right, we got this, we got this. And they just kind of like put it, it all in It does there. feel like yeah. that. It does. Yeah. It does a lot feel like that. I mean, this is them yeah. trying to explore, like, if Michael Myers is, like, inherent evil, like, that's just your nature, this uh-huh. is the nurture side of it. Mm-hmm. Like, this will be, I am sure at some point we'll be covering this movie on psychoanalysis, talking about oh, yeah. nature versus <laughs> nurture. Um mm-hmm. And along those lines, I'm curious, because I do see, and this is like with Allison too, because I think, I mean, somewhere I thought in the notes, you said like their romance feels very high school and it happens so quickly. And I I personally, I don't think it's that far-fetched. Okay. Speak, maybe speaking from experience, you, you, you've got two people who have been through some (laughs) pretty wild stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think that just when you find somebody who you feel like, oh, you get me. Like it's, I think it's understandable why they would move so quickly mm-hmm. and just immediately jump to that. Cause it's like, I like nobody else understands me like you do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I also think that, you know, and I think this goes for both of them. You, when you hear something enough and anybody that's been in either a toxic relationship or an abusive relationship, you hear something enough you start to believe it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this happens with Corey and the way that he's treated. So it makes sense that finally he would just embrace that. And I also think that, you know, for Allison too, it's not that far-fetched that she would maybe like leave with him and like listen to him. And it, it you know, it doesn't necessarily take a long time, but when you're really into somebody, 
sometimes you'll give them you'll ignore some flags you maybe shouldn't yeah sure um and embrace i wouldn't know anything things. about that <laughs> so just, just yeah. speaking from that side of things mm-hmm. like i i do think that the relationship plays with some interesting ideas that i think are more relatable than they get credit for i guess i agree with that and i think i enjoy a lot of Corey's storyline with Allison. I think the part of Corey's arc that really bugs me and that I do not like, and I would say the same thing about Allison's arc too, is how it relates to Laurie. That's what I feel like is Mm -hmm. really shoehorned and Mm -hmm. doesn't fit. But I, and I read it, I think the same way as you, Rachel, it's like, this is, this is how, like, when I look at this entire franchise, the parts that I really love are when this, this story is about reclaiming power Mm-hmm. And like, like dropping the knife and picking it back up is like the easy way of explaining it. But like, I love Corey realizing that like, I have no power as who I was. So I'm going to have to find power being someone else. And I, I really like that. I don't know if that's exactly what the movie is intending to do, or I think the movie is intending to do that. And then four other things at the same time, yes. because there are things <laughs> about Corey's plot line that drive me bananas. Like what? And, okay. And it sounds like I'm nitpicking, but these things are just like smacking me in the face and it's hard for me to take it seriously. He doesn't need glasses after he has his run in with Michael. That I was like, you're riding a motorcycle without a helmet and you're not wearing your glasses. Okay. He, <laughs> I, like, I thought it was so funny when she's like, when uh, Lori's like, you know, his eyes and I'm like, he's just not wearing his glasses. Exactly. <laughs> he's got a headache because he's been squinting. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. He, I, the part where he lays down in the middle of the dance floor, I get what they're doing there. That's like him letting go. But I was like, you would get so sticky. You would trip people. Part. You would get stepped on. I oh my god, that drove me nuts. And that sounds like I'm nitpicking, but those things really took me out of the story. When he stabs the knife in his throat, I was like, "What is? What are you doing here? Why is he going? Like, wouldn't Laurie dying by suicide help him out? Why would he want to go witness this? I just feel like there's so much having to get this character from plot A to plot B to plot C to plot D that." does not hold together. That's the thing know? is it's so rushed. It's mm-hmm. like, look, right. we have like less than, and the movie already feels, it's an hour and 50 long minutes long, which is 20 minutes longer than any slasher movie should ever be. Um, and you're like, we have to like introduce this character, set up this whole arc, get him here to here to here to here. And oh, by the way, we probably at some point should get back to Michael and Lori. It's so right. We probably maybe should right. address those okay, two characters at some point that, you know, we said these movies are about. Yeah. Um, I mean, Michael just became an ophthalmologist right. in his downtime. He I went to school to better himself. He's that's where he's been. Yeah, and so years. he's, <laughs> he didn't he's go probably, for years of evil ophthalmology sewer school. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And so he's the people that are missing in this town. They're just getting eye surgeries and going beyond the city scape. So that's what's happening. And I think it's great. I think it's a fresh (laughs) twist for Michael. No, I mean, the one thing in this film that drives me and, and I think Jen, I think stated it perfectly there you there's this connection between Lori, Allison, and Corey, how they're all kind of ostracized in this town. And it makes no sense for Allison and Lori 
to get kind of the guff that they do because in kills people were cheering for Lori right. at a bar on Halloween night saying mm. you know what a what a hero she is and and how she saved lives and now you have people being like you brought this into our town like no she absolutely did not he was away for 40 years what were you y'all doing like i i just to me that is can you hold I, that thought can you actually uh, hold that thought for when we talk about Lori? yeah 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 Let's hold that thought because i just want to stick with Corey for the moment because i do want to talk about specifically how the town treats Lori in this because it's not good yeah. um I hear what oh. you're saying. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, I, this, I think, would have been a red flag. If your new boyfriend takes you for a tour of the manslaughter house where he mm -hmm. killed a kid, that's, yeah, that's a little yeah. weird. So, it's abandoned for some reason, that yes. gorgeous house, gorgeous right. uh, grand piano. Minutes yeah. after saying, I killed somebody. Uh, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like Maybe he guy. wants to be a house flipper. Maybe right. that's it's, his thing. Ophthalmologist. It's one thing to like share your story and like have somebody accept it, like and accept that and be like, I get it, like I'm here for you. But then he's, he's like, Do you want to see the house? And be like, Right. Yeah. No. Hey, I want to see a dead body. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let the, me only, let me things. lay down on the blood stain right. of oh, the child. Like, the only thing that I can think about that is like that's the moment, that's the place that defined him. That's the moment that changed yes. who he was forever. So that's I think why he's like returns to it. You know, just similar how Michael Myers always returns to his house or whatever. Like that's the place where Corey forever changed mm -hmm. in that moment right. so for some reason he keeps returning to it but don't bring your new girlfriend no. there no right and i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> i just wanted to hook up in one of the bedrooms <laughs> he he t also and i'm sure this will be like one of the deleted scenes like in the novel he takes her to the myers house or what's it's become like a garden like she like takes her there without telling her and it's become like this rundown. It's supposed to be a memorial, but it's completely rundown and graffitied and doesn't even think for a second like, oh, this is the place where her my girlfriend's mother was murdered. And, you know, doesn't even think about that for a moment. Um, it's really he makes some choices. They're bizarre <laughs> to your point, Rachel. Like, OK, I could see where sometimes like two people that have been harmed by something and have this common ground like can not fall in love so much as cling to one another it's like yes. because no one else will understand them the problem is like some of the dialogue is so bad oh, like in yes. the doctor's <sighs> office when he's like you shouldn't let him talk to you like that it'll yeah. make you sad and i'm like was jeremy supposed to be written as a 12 year old like a, a seven year old at some point like was mm. that Gonna like, be like the real taboo. And, like I'll light the match. I'll light the match. Yeah. Like, <laughs> now he's hot when he says it, but yeah. Right. But like if anybody I'm, ever like said that in real life, I'd be like, like you'd dude, burst out laughing. Really? And I'm sorry, right. I have to yeah. this will sound nitpicky as well, but Jen mentioned the scene where he's on the floor in the bar dancing. Mm -hmm. That to me is so emblematic of so my issues with these movies and this one in particular, because when that happened, I was like, what is going on here? What, this is such an odd choice. And later on, you find out it's just so you can have that visual parallel when he's lying on the floor about to die. And it's so shoehorned in. And so like, well, we really need 
kind of a, a callback, kind of a visual thing here. Let's put something that makes zero sense earlier in the movie, just so people can be like, mm-hmm. ah, pointing Leo and be like, I recognize that framing, uh-huh. you know? So to me, that is okay. like such a perfect encapsulation of like, the one of the many ways this movie goes wrong. <laughs> right. Right. Overall, I really do like that bar scene because it's the one yes. time in the movie that Corey actually gets to let go and you see him loosening up and you could see like a completely different path for this person and mm-hmm. you see how quickly it is snatched away him. One with like the mom, like wearing the same costume, drinking at this <laughs> college bar four years later is probably one of the most depressing visuals of any movie I've ever seen. Um, she would be in a hotel bar. Let's be real. Like she right. would be at a hotel bar. She wouldn't be. Or there. just drinking alone. That's what yeah, I would just do in her apartment or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I do think you can, I know we're going to talk about Lori, but the, the interesting thread there and with her, it's just, I mean, if you're going to like look real hard at it, it's the, a way that trauma, no matter how hard you try to move past it can pop up at, you know, out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And it takes the smallest thing to, bring it all back sure. and so i think that that's part of it yeah but, i would know. agree and i like his his reaction to it when he confronts allison he's like yes people look at us differently but when they look at you they look at a person who survived this really tragic thing and fought and like you're kind of a hero and when they look it's tragic here when they look at me they see like a child murderer like mm-hmm. we're even though you think we're the same we're not actually the same i didn't ask for you to try to fix me and then he storms off um, yeah. to go back to like his mom is just, oh man, his Ooh. mother is just. Some of those scenes could have gone. I. It's because it feels like it's, it's like the cops in Halloween five where you have these like Keystone cops and the goofy music, <laughs> except like that is a goofy slasher movie where you're like this isn't really doesn't feel like it belongs here, but really what does where again, they're like making a quote unquote serious horror movie and you have like, why does Corey's mom have a New Jersey accent? Why does Terry the bully have a New Jersey accent? Like just. Why are they trying to buy beer wearing their band uniform? Yes. Okay. Thank you, Jen. I was like, there's no way that a a school is going to let them leave the property wearing those uniforms. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like after you're performing, (laughs) you change, you put them back in the storage room <laughs> oh wow and i was like no way anybody's gonna sell to people with a fake id wearing baby right, you show up in your brownie uh, uniform like hey with your pigtails can i have a beer please no no uh, it happens it happens <laughs> i i also like maybe if, i don't know how many you, you know from a friend right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't know how a friend named nicole <laughs> But if I, I was like, okay, what do these kids play? Like, clearly that one kid plays drums. And then I was uh-huh. just guessing what they play. And I'm like, okay, well, clearly the, like, big bully guy, like, clearly he plays trumpet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and very trumpet energy. My other guess was um, the the Christine girl, the Moochie girl, who's, mm-hmm. you know, the knockoff John Travolta stand-in. <laughs> like, I think, she's a clar- I think she's a clarinet player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, the other uh, student who... Uh, what's her name? Stacy. Mm-hmm. She she puts off saxophone vibes. Too. I was okay. thinking so, but like baritone saxophone. You mm, know, yeah, like yeah. Not, so that's not, why like, uh, yeah. French horn. 
French horn. French horn. Mm-hmm. I yeah, do so- like that this movie will call out the real scourges and bullies, the high school marching band kids. Uh-huh. Like, hey, they've gotten away choice. from it for too long. Okay? <laughs> Monsters. Just, yeah. Just real. I loved it, you know, but I don't necessarily think that's accurate. And he's, and but he's, also I love oh yeah, it. and he's got a jersey's. Hey, what do you mean? Yeah. What are you saying? Get out of here! Hey, right. hey. <laughs> so, yeah, like, and he that's wanted... what I mean when I say ballsy doesn't make sense. Like, just go for mm. it, you know. But Corey's mom is just like she's so over. Like, she, again, we we just we just covered like the electric complex and psychoanalysis, and this is it in reverse, and that like Corey's mom wants to have sex like plants a pretty hot kiss on mm-hmm. him at one point and it's like whoopsie she's so over the top and it's so ridiculous and like her mummy dearest type of stuff like you can actually understand why Corey wants to sleep at the murder house because like it gets him away from his mother um yeah god that is the custard line is what really gets me. Like, like, what movie is this? Like, that's it, it becomes like, a Mel Brooks movie. Mm-hmm. That's straight out of yeah, High Anxiety. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the okay. I hope you find love. That's my favorite. Uh, one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that's like... Ronald. We'll talk Ronald because <laughs> I would. I want a prequel of Ronald meeting Joan and getting married. So I need to know how that happened. Right. Because um, like that, you know, he's a nice stepdad. He seems like a genuinely nice dude like when he looks at the he's the only character aside from maybe allison he doesn't really have any ulterior motives aside from wanting to care for Corey. so he gets him the motorbike like geez gets mad when Corey's late but he's got like a shop to run so he's gonna hold mm-hmm. him accountable but that line Aaron. like i hope you find love is like a really nice line it's just is like the way it's uttered, the way that shot is framed. Like when Corey's mom like st- storms off, and then he's just in his like burker lounge, feet up, just like trying to not be seen, but he's a giant of a man, and he mm. just says like the gentlest line. Like I love that. I really like Ronald. And then the card comes up immediately, October thirty first. That that was yes. when I hit the turning point. And I was like, maybe I love this movie because it was such a strange choice. I forgot that this movie takes place because I don't think this movie does a great job of like giving yeah. the hollow. I'm like, oh, yeah. Like if you told me this movie took place in July, <laughs> I'd be like, OK, I would go, which would have been a ballsy choice. I would have bought it. I well, that's climate Halloween change. Party was on Halloween. Right. And then once I was like, oh, we're in November now. That's cool. And mm-hmm. then it was Halloween first. And it's like, I mean, how 31st. <laughs> Halloween first. I, I, like was, I was <laughs> <laughs> like, what? what? Yeah. All right, let's talk Lori. And uh, Nicole, you were mentioning how like the town treats her personally. I like this, this this depiction of Lori Strode much more than I do like this like non-functioning poster child for the NRA that we got in the previous two movies. I don't like like reclusive Lori that has no reason to live. Um, this Lori, it feels like Lori from H2O, but even like more in the recovery stage at this point, someone that has kind of made some peace with what's going on. Um, and she, But even with that, she's still very vigilant. Like she's not someone who's like, well, the world is hunky dory now. Like, no, she is still very prepared if things go down, but she's not going to let that moment define her. I wish we had this Lori for three movies, but I don't know how you all feel. 
I would love to hear Jen's thoughts on this. <laughs> oh, this the, this Lori really pissed me off. Um, oh, and, wow. And okay. I agree with you. I think I really enjoy seeing her be a person that is not haunted by this trauma. I really enjoy seeing her as the trauma NRA poster lady in, two, in 2018 because I feel like we go through that journey with her. And then I feel like... I'm ready for her to move into something else. And Mm -hmm. then, and so we get that for a little bit. First of all, I do not believe for a second that she and Frank wouldn't have been boning for the last four years. That bugged me. Did you see Frank's hair in this movie? (laughs) I mean, he is cute. He's sweet. He's bringing her eggplants. I'm into it. Yeah, Um, that's not doing it for her either. Well, I don't know. But the the thing that really bugged me was when she saw, like I go back and forth between whether I like this or not. When she sees Corey standing by the tree, just like Michael was, and then all of a sudden she turns into this like, yeah, exactly. And part of me is like, oh, she's triggered. I like that. But I don't think that's what the movie is doing. I think Mm -hmm. the movie is trying to really force this. Corey is the new Michael, Allison is the new Lori, and they fall in love with each other. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make any sense at all. And you still have to have Lori somewhere in there. I hate how she all of a sudden is like, I want to help you, Corey. You can't have her. Like that makes no sense. It the whole wanting to die by suicide drives me nuts. Like that doesn't make any sense either. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think if that's what you're doing with the character that I would be interested in that, but that's not the same Lori that says show Tom trauma, your tits. You yeah. Know, show grease actually, your tits. Do you no. think she actually did though? Cause I took it as like, she was just like setting a trap the whole thing. And was well, like, I that think that watching. too. No, I agree. But why would that be a trap? Like that trap doesn't make sense either. Why would like he wants to kill if she to, kills herself to make him like, think that he won but it lets him did. off guard a little bit it definitely takes him off his guard just yeah. a little bit at that point um yeah, i don't know i, I don't buy any of it. <laughs> I, I what was i gonna say the the show grief your tits thing is really Ugh, one of the worst yeah yes worse lines in a movie and then it like she throws down the pumpkin guts which to me i'm like those are sticky and gross and i don't like it and then you cut to a plate of spaghetti you have a character like you were saying like this is like what if laurie and michael got together you literally have a character in deb that says that out loud in this movie because you don't Mm -hmm. have any trust in the audience to put like what if your grandmother got together with michael myers and it's like Mm -hmm. what an incredibly fucked up thing to say (laughs) to somebody but also like what how brain dead do you think your audience Mm -hmm. is i agree with you like that moment where she sees Corey outside lurking and then like when he pops up behind her like boogity boogity like i didn't mean to scare you um Uh was that made me fucking giggle (laughs) she after setting if she had doubts about Corey and alec maybe she was sympathetic to him but didn't want to see them together but she like literally drives Allison. She drives Corey to Allison and is like, here you yeah. go. This is my hot granddaughter. Play some, you know, show Allison, show grief your tits. And and then she turns on him in a dime. Like, absolutely. I'm done with him. Yeah. And starts hunting him down at that point. Well, and yeah. also Lindsay. Like I do I do think oh. like I understand that like, you know, like this bad thing happened to him and it wasn't his fault. But I don't like I don't know how much 
these people, Lindsay and Lori, know him personally. Right. So I do think it's weird when they're at the bar and Lindsay's like, do whatever you want. Like, don't mm-hmm. let what they say. Like, and it's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. But if like somebody that close to you is, you know, like, oh, this this person killed somebody. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe you wish you wouldn't maybe be just take like, it slow. so like nonchalant about like, yeah, right. just go for it. Lori's know, also really cool about committing felonies, like property damage, like <laughs> yeah. takes out a giant knife and is like, hey, let's kind of like ruin this high school kid's car, which granted like the that. kid sucks. Um, but oh, yeah. she's very casual with that. Yeah, she survived Michael. She can. I was like, mm-hmm. there's still a little of that, you know, Halloween, right. 2018 Lori in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, I would like her therapist number if that's like if that's how like much recovery she did in four oh, years. Oh yeah. yeah, that's pretty impressive. Sorry. And oh, that's yeah. the other thing. I don't know if I buy that they would be, like that she is the kind of person that would be so cool with Halloween that she has a jack-o'-lantern mm-hmm. inside, mm-hmm. you know, like I could see her decorating a little bit, but she goes all in and doesn't seem to really struggle with it. And again, I don't want another movie about trauma because I feel like I've already gotten two that I really right. like, but I just, I don't know. I don't get it. Like I, I buy Allison not wanting to go to the Halloween party and reluctantly going, I don't buy Laurie. Like, Trying I, to don't you think she would like turn off her lights and like go to Hawaii for a week or something? Yeah, like, that's a, what like I would annual do. vacay and just be like, mm-hmm. screw this, I'm out. I would yeah. buy it if that was the Lori we started out with. Like, if mm-hmm. you told me like after Halloween 1978, she's had all this time to recover, and now she can embrace the mm-hmm. holiday as a way mm-hmm. of saying like it doesn't. It's just another day. It doesn't have power right. over me. I have a much harder time of her embracing it. Like four years after her daughter is killed yep. her son and well maybe she doesn't care about the son-in-law he was a goof yeah. um penis on my penis. yeah maybe but four years after that and just like how brutal everything was that all of a sudden she's like i baked a pumpkin pie you know just it's a that's, halloween tradition it's like which, which is again why i think that there are really strong ideas throughout these three movies, like really strong ideas, but they're stitched together in such a way that they don't completely work. Mm-hmm. If you moved some stuff from this movie, like I want Topher Grace to do, he did a fan edit of the um, Star Wars prequels that makes it like very coherent um, by basically eliminating all of the Phantom Menace and then stitching. And it's supposed to be like really, really good. Like it takes all the good ideas and boils it down to like two movies. I would love to see him take a crack at this and stitch Mm -hmm. together these three movies in a way that feel way more coherent and tell the story they want to tell, but do it in a competent way. And I'm sorry, Nicole, I feel like I'm not giving you a chance to weigh in here. Well, I think that the, I think this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, where this third film was an afterthought, mm-hmm. or it was something that, you know, they started out saying, well, there's going to be two, and then there's going to be three, but they're all going to take place on the same night. It's going to be one continuous story, and then that changed because the world changed and mm-hmm. scheduling changed and all of that. So they really had to reconceptualize a lot of what they were doing with certain characters, specifically Lori. And I think it would be interesting if you're going to have some time pass, you're going to hone in on this relationship between Allison and her grandma, 
in a different way, which I think is great because it's something that is brought in from the beginning of 2018. Allison and Lori do have a closeness and it's a frayed relationship. It's a strained relationship, but it's close and they care about each other. So I like that you keep those tenants there. I think it's really smart. And I think that it would be an idea to have <coughs> Lori's motivations now really be at giving Allison opportunities at a life that she couldn't give Karen mm -hmm. and herself because she was so stuck in Haddonfield and the horror that she experienced that she wants to move on. She wants to create a place where Allison can move on and have a different life. Yeah. And I think if you wanted to go down that track, do it really explicitly and make that the story. But instead, mm -hmm. I think you get all of these little bits that feel from different scripts coming in, different kind of storylines or arcs with Lori that are meshed together and just seem really incongruous. Like, they, they don't make sense. It doesn't make sense that a character that would do this is now going to turn around and do this. We can make sense of it later, I guess, but it you really have to do the work. And I think if you would have just said, all right, well, what is Lori? Like, we've been so specific with what Lori's <coughs> motivations are in these two films. What are they now in this third, in a different place? And I think a lot of that has to be tied to, or I don't know, Lori doesn't seem outside of the scene at the grocery store at the very end, she doesn't really seem impacted by the town's treatment of her. Mm -hmm. um, she seems to really brush that off. And no one, like, which I think is a testament to her being a strong character, a strong person, having gone through so much. But it's just, I don't know. It just, to me, that those were the weakest parts of the film for me was making sense of this Lori in this mm -hmm. town and why she was there and why they were acting the way that they were towards her. Um, less so towards Allison, because I think, you know, no one necessarily kind of came for her in that same way, but I don't know. It's just, it didn't feel like a Lori I could make sense of. I, I could not anticipate what her next move would be because I'm like, I don't know who she, who this is. Mm -hmm. What right. Lori is this? What timeline? Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Do you guys think that, like, how much input did Jamie Lee Curtis have here? I think scenes like her leaning against the wall and tapping the um, tapping the chair back and forth, like directly or influenced by her. I honestly feel like she has something in her her rider where she's like, every 15 minutes I need to do something that looks badass. <laughs> and that I could see her in this movie looking at the first act and a half and being like, I'm not getting to be nearly um, tough enough. Um, mm -hmm. I really like Jamie Lee Curtis, but the more like 
there's something about her that rubs me the wrong way is that I always feel like she's scolding me. Like whenever I read an interview with her, I always feel like she's slightly disappointed in me. Um, And I say, do as I say. Exactly. So I do feel like she probably has like a lot of input, which, hey, I mean, she's lived with this character for 44 years now. So God love her. She should have some input on it. Um, But I love where Lori starts in this movie. I wish we had it for three. Exactly to what you said, Jen. She turns so quickly on Corey Mm. that it feels jarring. What say you, Jess? I haven't heard. I I just, uh, four is, I, okay. I am not someone who complains about a runtime. Like if your movie needs to be two and a half hours, I love it. Give me all you got, you know, give me three and a half hours Mm -hmm. if the movie needs to be that long, but Mm -hmm. it's bloated and rushed at the same time, which is such a strange combination and not a very satisfying experience when you're watching a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I I think we've all made this point at some point. Um, I think Jen, especially like I, I likened it to, there are four writers on this film. I think each writer wrote a few different scenes. They threw it in a hat and then they pulled out the scenes from the hat and they were like, this is the movie. Cause it is such a Frankenstein mm-hmm. of a movie. You've got, you know, at one point it becomes a David Lynch film. And then, you know, sometimes we've got some cult of thorn, you know, we've got a lot of different movies stitched mm-hmm. together with never a cohesive whole, you know, it's an interesting whole, but it's not very cohesive. Um, so this Lori again is very stitched together. I, I'm a fan of 2018 Lori, um, based on the Mm -hmm. timeline that, uh, where she ends up in 2018 makes sense to me. Um, and I like where that movie ends, you know, uh, if I, well, I was going to say my head canon, if I'm accepting any of these movies at all, is that we end at the end of 2018, you know, so, but, um, that's just me, you know, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I I agree that, you know, obviously Jamie Lee Curtis was an executive producer on this one. I think she had a lot of input because she, uh, you know, on the on the trauma uh, press run, she kind of wanted to move past that. She wanted Lori to get past it, quote unquote, get past the trauma and um, kind of beat it, um, mm-hmm. which I, I'm not trying to say that I think that you can, you know, rise above and beat trauma, but I'm saying you can manage. Yeah. It. Right. Right. Yeah. I think manage would be the way to look. Yeah, at it. absolutely. You can definitely. Um, but yeah, I do think that it's, it's rushed and we've got not to be cliche, but we've got too many cooks in the kitchen. We've got too many people with mm-hmm. too many different ideas of who this character is and what her journey is that it's just, it's really fitful. It moves and stops and starts. We rush ahead and then we get stuck in a place that doesn't make any sense. So I had so much trouble connecting to Lori because I couldn't understand her. I couldn't understand why the town was treating her that way. Why they thought the bizarre things they did about like, you were teasing him, you were provoking him. What was, I don't understand Mm -hmm. that in the slightest. And I think part of the problem too, this movie it sidelines Lori mm-hmm. for yes. a lot of the movie. It like just kind of leaves her completely in the background for a lot mm-hmm. of it. So then when she comes back, you're like, okay, now this feels like a different version of you. And I'm not quite sure 
where this version came mm-hmm. from. And again, I think like what this movie is interested in is it the first of the three movies starts looking at like the individual and how they're impacted. And you see over three movies how that community has now been impacted by everything that has gone on and like the long-term impact of that as well, the long-term effects. I wish we got more of... Like there's a shot early in the movie of a woman who has hung herself, and that is Oscar's mother from the first movie, mm. the boy who was impaled. And then she sees his corpse. Like you find out, like that's his mom. How she has reacted to this. I wish there were more things like that in the movie, even if it was just a bunch of for sale signs. Like in Barbarian, when you're in that neighborhood and there's one nice house and everything else yeah. is not like give me some things like that Mm -hmm. give me some coding that lets me know like Haddonfield has if you're telling me it's now been impacted by this evil show me some other signs of that as well and I think I would rather see that in a movie without Laurie in it you know like I think I might enjoy this movie more if Laurie wasn't in it and I say that like she is one of my all-time favorite characters Mm -hmm in horror and any movie like i love her but i feel like since 2018 we get diminishing returns Mm -hmm. every time i see her and she's starting to like i had no interest in writing anything about her this time and last time i pitched like five different pieces Mm -hmm. about like where laurie is and this time i was like i don't care i would much rather just focus on Corey if that's what we're gonna do then let's just do it and stop trying to jam but they've gotta they've gotta do the Halloween ends like they've got to have their two giants come together right. and I would rather just like I agree with you Jessica I have two head cannons and they end in H2O and 2018 short hair Laurie and long yeah. hair Laurie <laughs> but I I love where Laurie ends in this film mm. sitting on the steps out front of her house with Hawkins mm-hmm. talking about retirement things and <laughs> Just feeling, you know, like it's what we want for Lori. We want her yeah. to find that, like that ending. And I think it's also, I, you know, going back to what we were talking about with the music, it ends with Don't Fear the Reaper. And you get us going through an empty, kind of perfectly quiet, mm-hmm. quaint house. No, you know, heavy breathing, no nothing. And it, to me, is like the Reaper is now time. The Reaper is now, she's lived. She's an older woman. And now she's she's just living. And she has this opportunity now. And so I, I, I don't know. I, I love how it ends with her. I'm glad that we get just that moment with her and Hawkins and it's very Mm -hmm. cute and sweet and very happy making, but it's also, I think to what you guys have said so well is that everything leading up to that in this film is so frustrating because it just doesn't come together. Nothing about it really sets, um, you know, kind of sets us on that path. And so it's great, but you're like, mm, I, I, you, we need to go back. Well, right. give me, give me that end at the end of Halloween Kills. Like, get rid of Michael at the end of Halloween Kills. Have the mm-hmm. trash compactor moment there, and then the end of this movie is Laurie and Hawkins, 
you know, talking about going to see the cherry blossoms and, you know, munching on some parsnips and carrots on the front <laughs> porch. Like, totally give me that moment. Parsnips are lovely. Um, but, and then, you know, maybe you, you have like Corey holding the mask. Like, it got left behind and um, you can focus on his story, which started in kills or whatever, then have it carry over with him and Allison a few years later, you know, like make it something like that. If that's what you want your focus to be. So you don't go, Oh yeah, by the way, we have to like shoehorn Lori into this somehow. And it doesn't, what the ending that she gets doesn't feel earned. Well, now that we're nearly two hours into this podcast, I want (laughs) to point out that Michael Myers first turns up in Halloween ends at the 40 minute and 51 second mark. So you have a Halloween movie where he's not really even thought of until like a good third into the way into this film. And I've read the argument that yes, compared to the original movie, he's actually on screen more than he is in Halloween 78. But my two arguments there are number one, this movie is at least 20 minutes longer than John Carpenter's movie. Um, So the ratio is not as good, but also when you watch John Carpenter's Halloween when you don't see Michael, you feel Michael. His presence right. is always there. Mm-hmm. He's behind Annie and Lori tooling around in the station wagon. He is hiding behind the bushes. He's standing outside the laundry room. Like You always feel his presence. There's never a moment where you don't feel him. Here, Michael gets completely sidelined. And I... When I was like being less charitable thinking of this movie, I described Corey as this movie's Poochie. Like with <laughs> yep. with, yep. with Poochie Halloween died on ends. His way back to his exactly. <laughs> you need to be thinking about what Poochie is doing every minute. You know? I love Poochie. I do like what they do with Michael with the limited time he has. Like I like old man Michael, that mm-hmm. someone who's been wounded. Like his breathing is really labored. You feel his age and his injury. He almost appears afraid at a couple points early on. Like when he fought, when Doug kind of overpowers him and he's like basically on his ass, you know, like I know you can't see into the mask, but that's like a really submissive posture that he has. So I like that. I wish they did more with it. At one point I thought I'm not kidding. Watching this. I thought when he was trying to kill Doug, they were going to have Michael have a heart attack and die. And then Corey was going to take it over, which I would have been like, that's fucking really ballsy. Like a true. It's like the new Dread Pirate Roberts, you know? Oh, they would be so mad. And I think I would have loved it. What do y'all think of the shape this time around? I mean, Crickets. I liked him. I, well, it's, I mean, it's a lot. I mean, what do you I think liked... of Michael riding a motorcycle? <laughs> I, okay. I, he just a wear enough sweaters. I mean, yeah, he needed to trade in the mechanics. He <laughs> needs some, some sweaters. Nice cardigan. I, th- I mean, it's just like four years, really, in that sewer. Like, I have a hard yeah. time. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. That's a little insane. It but is. I do like that he shows that he's getting a little tired. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do appreciate that. I do appreciate that he, you know, when they give us the glimpse of his face and his hands, like mm-hmm. you see what he's been the through. Age. 
the age like he's not like magically all healed or anything yeah. so I, I i do i do really like that and i do like that we get a little bit more of his face i know some people hate that and i and i get that argument because you know john carpenter originally it's just this you know evil without reason this evil that's mm-hmm. in humanity that just doesn't make sense and doesn't have any logic to it like i i, I understand that argument but for this story's sake I kind of like getting those glimpses and just that reminder that he is just um, just a man. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not exactly sure how I feel about him like powering up a little bit. Yep. I, I don't know. But anyway, because you see that like the more he stabs Doug, his posture gets straighter. And that is specifically what they're going for. Is that like mm. his like it's like Popeye spinach is like stabbing is his superpower, basically. It's what yes. gives him his strength. It is a bit weird. It is a bit much. Um, I kind of wish they had Danny Glover play Michael Myers and he could just have him yell him too old for this <laughs> shit for at this some shit. point. Yeah. yeah, That's not where I thought you were going when you said getting straighter, especially combined with the scene with Corey. Because mm-hmm. um, I was like, because there has never been a sexual component to Michael's murders, even though, you know, he focused on young like teenage girls but he also killed men like he wasn't really mm-hmm. um there was never that component before and i'm not trying to jump start us into that conversation because i know i brought up earlier that i wanted to talk about it um but let's do it uh, here's the spot isn't it yeah well, I'm, I'm talk curious. to me about your bisexual michael myers <laughs> Well, I, there is a lot of bisexual lighting in this. There movie, is. So I think there absolutely is. So. I the, just the idea of a sexual Michael Myers at all, I think, is a quite mm-hmm. a departure. And I, uh, I think there is a lot going on in this trilogy in terms of gender and sexuality. And I think that it is obvious that it is all cishet men who are having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, we've got the gender flipped Halloween costumes, Bonnie and Clyde in the first movie. We've got Big John and yeah. Little John in Kills. Um, we've got, you know, the 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 wordplay with the babysitter murders with the male babysitter uh-huh. who is a murderer. Well, not at first. He is a killer, but an accidental one. But then he turns into a murderer. Like, there's a lot of flipping genders and, in my opinion, thinking they're more... Uh, clever and transgressive than they actually are being Mm -hmm. and i i would i'm really looking forward to a lot of the takes like you said mike about um queer readings of this of Corey being uh sexually submissive but also kind of um (laughs) he's kind of being like the serial killer power bottom um in that first scene he like Pops from the he tops from the yeah, bottom. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. Thought they would put that. Yeah. Um. So I, I really want to get everybody else's read on this because I that that's where I come down on it. There's a lot that's going on in terms of gender and sexuality from people who perhaps might not have the range to discuss those things. Well, it's funny. Like, okay, so I when they're in the cave and the the, the show me thing i mean even in christine like that scene is very sexual mm-hmm, to me mm-hmm. in, in a different way but here i mean it's like Corey's like show me show me how to do this like all right uh-huh. like i'm on board to- like you're the experienced <laughs> one here like you show me so it's, there's a 
breeding there for sure. And, and it's like, you know, maybe he's not powering up, but make, maybe there's an argument to be made that like, maybe just Michael Myers, he just needed somebody to believe in him again. Like, <laughs> he's been like, he's been like chased out of this town and he's just like hiding in this cave and he's like, nobody even like cares about me anymore. Like they've all moved on and like, here's Corey, like, you know, like not scared of him. I think is mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't fight back and is mm-hmm. like you know show me like he's like giving Michael a chance to like show him what he's made of and believes in him and so I, <laughs> that's probably giving this way too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're penetrating someone together, mm-hmm. so I think that that underscores kind of the sexual component and you, you know especially under- yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. and it becomes increasingly more you know, aggressive as Michael's powering up and getting more energized by what's going on. And I think it is interesting. I I like this in terms of, like, yeah, it's a little hokey maybe, but I don't feel it's supernatural. I, like, I, I feel like this is still very much kind of within a realm of real, of mm-hmm. someone, like, he's been laying low, he is feeling the impacts of time. Um, you know, he's, I, I like that it's, you know, with Michael, we do kind of get the old man Logan type (coughs) arc with him in a way, you know, someone that used to be this kind of self-regenerative, all powerful, cannot be defeated, you know, kind of this old, man, (laughs) I like that. And, um, you know, I do think again, it's, I kind of wonder about like a legacy aspect of it too, of Michael being like, well, here's someone that can make Haddonfield still quake in his boots. So he can continue my evil reign. I mean, I don't think it's that at all, but it's interesting to think about. I the dynamic between Corey and Michael is strange, especially at the very end when Michael just executes him. He's like, "No, nah, now it's my time." Like you well, had been, your time. But he's been betrayed by Corey. I mean, Corey beats the hell out of Michael, which is a pretty just like I mean, I found that like really interesting and even a little disturbing. And that's you know. So he's basically been betrayed by his apprentice. So he kind of has to come back and just be like, all right, I'm going to show you how we actually do this. Like, I've got 40 something years of skin in the game here, kiddo. Like, you've got a little ways to go. Yeah, but I think that that's rule number one. Rule number one is when you create a monster, you can't be mad when a monster monsters. No, but you can still, you know, you don't have to be like, well, I guess I'm here in this cave without my mask anymore. <laughs> so it wouldn't have made any sense for him to just kind of stay there at that point. Like you kind of I understand what you're saying. And there was always going to be like a shelf life on this kind of partnership. Um, but I think that was like, OK, we're going to. And also, yeah. like, if that was the end of Michael, like, if that's where you just left him, like, alone in a cave without his mask. <laughs> oh, no. Never return to him again. People might hate that more than my heart attack idea. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I definitely think that Michael has to 
-hmm. like he has to tango at the Mm -hmm. end like he needs a flourish he needs his time with Lori so I no, I 100% get that but yeah I was like Oh, I thought you guys were friends. Like, why Why are you, like, yeah, he did rough you up, but you, like, kind of, like, you were kind of guiding him. You were telling him, evil out. It's okay. Do your thing. It's like a Do single way. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, it, 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 but that's my, I think my issue with Michael is I can't ever tell what he thinks of Corey, you know? Um, and I mean, they do, I fuck a little bit, you know, and what is he Corey? I don't know. I agree. I don't think there's like a supernatural thing going. And I really think Michael is usually my least favorite part of the Halloween movies. Mm -hmm. You know, I like looking at him more as like the shape or a symbol and like what he symbolizes. And I'm really interested in, him symbolizing more of an infection in the town. I really like that read. I think it's handled pretty clunkily and I don't yeah. think it comes together. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause gotta get this off my chest. That lady who gets stabbed with the light thing, like that happened before anybody, anything with Laurie. Sorry. Right. Okay. But I think what is interesting to me is if I look at like Michael as a symbol of the infection in the town, what when Corey gets that influence in him when he starts to become infected by it I agree with you Jessica I feel like there's this weird read that they don't quite know how to do because they seem to imply that that makes him like more manly or like more willing to like take the aggressive approach in his relationship with Mm -hmm. Allison because she's pretty like she's the one pursuing him Uh he's very standoffish and it's really interesting that they are kind of turning him into a quasi final girl for a Mm -hmm. while. Like, I feel like that's what they're trying to do in the first half. And then it flips and they're like, no, maybe he's Michael. And I think that I would love a movie that could really balance those two things. And I don't think, I don't know if they're really trying to do it, but I don't think they do it at all. And I just think, yeah, this doesn't do it. Right. I, Again, like getting, I think there's a couple like really wonderful shots of him. Like there's one mm-hmm. where he's not the focus of the shot, but it's like the flashlight. He's just out of the periphery of the shot when Doug is in the basement and he's like hiding away because he knows like I can't take this person right mm-hmm. now. Like he's too big, he's too strong. And I kind of, I like that. Like there's a little, almost like a little bit of a thinking component to Michael. I think his read on Corey is he's intrigued by Corey. He doesn't quite know what he thinks of him either. And I think that's why he follows like when, when Corey leaves him, he starts following Corey and that's how he ends up outside of Lori's home. And I think a little, again, like a Russian nesting doll of a shot right there where like she's watching Corey and he's watching her. Um, It's different, but I think like, it's different. I think they go a bit more back to how he was portrayed in 2018 and that he is supposed to be a man and there like is something a little extra about him, but not what we've seen in all of the sequels. It's not quite like Rob Zombies. He's just this big lumbering dude. There is a little bit more to it there. Um, and I kind of like that. So I guess what do we make of the climax of this movie? And speaking of 
queer readings of it. What do we think of the climax of this movie? And uh-huh. really, does it function as like not only like the closing chapter of this trilogy, but also like it's supposed to cap off like a 40 year saga? Is it enough to like, to me, like this movie does take some big swings. And then at the end of it just returns back to like, okay, we have 25 minutes left. We have to bring everybody together. Let's have our big showdown, like get rid of all the big ideas and we have our showdown at the end. So what do we make of that? Well, I was going to be really mad if nobody got grinded up in that thing. When you <laughs> see it in that open yeah. act, it's like Chekhov's like exactly. car grinder, you know? And I thought for a minute that Laurie was going to just go down with him. Like, I thought she was going to slip. Where she's standing. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. Like he was going to reach know. up one oh last God. time and pull her down. Add, Ray, lower I, body exactly. add some carry into the surrounding, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. yeah. Totally. I did not um, like his death on the kitchen it, mm-hmm. and i mean it's speaking up it was very carry like that was mm-hmm. another king mm-hmm. reference with like pinning yeah. him like as a like mike we just did an episode where we talked about suicidal ideation and i did not enjoy seeing the slow cut on his wrist mm-hmm. like that really bothered me there was something about the slow motion quality of everything mm-hmm. did that it feel I didn't too like. glib it it felt it just felt like i don't want to see it it felt mm-hmm. i think it was that it was too slow you know, and I get it. I like where I like it in theory. I just don't like it in execution. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the thing that bothered me is that she kills him on that Island in her kitchen. And then there's a tour at the very end and you still see it in her kitchen. Like, are you kidding me? Like, there's no way (laughs) that she just like bleached it and kept it like girl right. get yourself a new table as an <laughs> island like you're not mm-hmm. keeping that you killed fucking michael island? myers on it <laughs> that was the island that was the trap in 2018 like the door yeah, too she's gotta she's gotta move on and get some new mm-hmm. like furniture because yeah. that's disgusting my notes on this i was like she's just gonna have to burn this house down and start over again too mm-hmm. like just keep Keep yeah, burning houses and get a new one. Yeah, <laughs> move in with Frank. There you go. <laughs> no, I liked it. I think it was. It felt very equal. Um, mm-hmm. It felt very. Um, you didn't automatically assume that one was going to get the upper hand. It was you. It was a bit of a like, oh wow, this is really intense. They're really going at it. Um, Lori's really given him the business, and he's doing the same. Um, and it it felt earned. I again, this film has to be the end, like the literal end of this story of this. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to see Lori again. Same. I don't even want to see Lori in a reboot. Like I don't. I don't want another Lori Strode. I don't want. I, yeah, a, it's. I don't want a third Lori Strode. No. I'm done. It's done. We're done. And I think this is fine. <laughs> and yeah. seeing him pop like a blood balloon <laughs> was like unless it's like oh this was actually a firefighter from the kills that survived and oh michael's oh. still alive no we can't do it it's done we're done it's time you call the end so let's end it mm-hmm. um 
and so it i i do feel that there is a sense of finality i did appreciate that i appreciated that you had the whole town outside of Lindsay. why wasn't Lindsay there like she was i don't reading tarot cards on a bar <laughs> i guess mike bar. vanderbilt made a she good point a... she was yeah. she was like half off shots after michael myers is dead she oh, was yeah. gonna have a great night make a lot of money that night yeah, I mean, I get this. <laughs> the reunion episode of Real Housewives of Haddonfield. Yeah, right. Oh, what But I, you know, I do like that, again, they made this about the town and not about the family, not about the specific people that we're following. This is really about the town and what the town has experienced in this decades-long period of time. So I like that you get the procession. I like that you get people coming to kind of see this moment. Um, I think it's a good end to these characters. And now it's a little never need. It's over. But that's what, like, yeah. give that to me. At one point, I think I saw um, Sam Wise run in and <laughs> somebody. <laughs> Um, I, you know, the, the, the third act, like one of the things I, I have this quote from David Gordon Green talking this week about like the backlash and the reaction in the movie. And he says, we had to decide how he wants her to wrap up these characters. How do we want to make it not just a nice neat bow on the franchise? Honestly, we never once considered making a Laurie and Michael movie. The concept that it should be a final Showtime type brawl never even crossed my mind. So he, I don't know if he's watched his own movie. Like, did David Gordon Green like watch the movie? Is this like a Brian? Is it Brian Brian Singer situation where he like gets directing credit for Rocket Man, but wasn't on set for a lot of it because like. This movie does put a nice, neat bow on all of its characters. They're either dead, leaving Haddonfield, or moving on with their life. And also it ends with a Laurie and Michael show, which is fine. I have no problem with either. I, that's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Like, I mm-hmm. want, like, a nice, neat bow at the end of a trilogy. I want, like, a showdown at the end of it. But don't tell me that that's not what you wanted to do when that's what your movie has. Um I, well, maybe maybe he didn't want to do that, but mm-hmm. then I mean, okay, you talked. We talked earlier about like how is this different than sure. know, Halloween Four? You get all this conversation and all this like input from everybody, and I think that that's part of it. Like those movies, the people just made the movies for the most part. You know, re- you know, maybe stu- some studio interference, maybe, but they made the movies they wanted to make. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to like mm-hmm. them; they didn't have to be good. But it's like, all right, here you go. This is our weird Halloween, you know, <laughs> Halloween five or whatever. And but here it's like you guaranteed that they were paying attention to what people were saying. And mm-hmm. they're like, well, I guess we have. Yeah, we didn't consider making a Laurie and Michael movie, but then realized like we had to make a Laurie and Michael movie. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's Halloween I just, and we have Laurie in it. So, yeah. So I just but wonder you're... like how much of that was like, yeah, what they wanted to do versus what they ended up having to do just because they knew they couldn't do anything else. but also when your previous movie ends with like i'm coming for you mike <laughs> right? right 
And then you're like, yeah. yeah, we didn't do that. It would be like at the end of Empire Strikes Back, they're like, we have to go save Han. And then like you never hear from Han Solo <laughs> again in Return of the Jedi. Like they completely forget about him. Like you can't do that. That's not yeah. good. That's not good storytelling. Yeah. Um <laughs> I'd like to hear fight. what they were like mm-hmm. going to do. Like, yeah. what? so what were you going to do? I don't know. Right. We're going to have everybody sitting around a bonfire at the end. And then like Michael is a kid, like glowing in the sky and like taking his mask off yep. and hugging his sister. And, you know, Annie and Linda come back and, you know, oh. I would so, watch <laughs> I don't know. It's to me would again, have made about as much sense as some of the, the, the biggest, the biggest problem with this movie is Halloween kills. The biggest problem is like, yes, what is, it, it's really trapped by what Halloween kills sets up. Like Halloween kills that whole movie could have been told in about 30 minutes. You literally could have had the town goes after Michael. He fucks them up. And now like it's the hunt. And then you know what? We can't find him. Lori kills Michael at the end of kill. You get the procession here and then you move on and you tell this story that you want to tell. I do appreciate the finality of it. I do like that. You know, Corey is not coming back in another movie. I do like that. Like Michael, like you said, is like a blood blister. Like that's exploded into like a bajillion different pieces. Like I love all of that. You can let somebody else play in a different sandbox. Um, It's just, it didn't feel like 2018, the end of it felt earned. It felt like Lori had been through the ringer. Perfect ending. When your movie makes $180 million on like a $10 million budget. Yeah. You kind of like, you almost have a moral obligation to make more of them Mm -hmm. because you're like, fuck it. Um, and that's, I think, my issue with the whole Laurie is going to die by suicide thing is I feel like it was trying to shoehorn in another mm-hmm. gotcha moment in 2018. Sure. That was yeah. earned. That's one of my, I still get chills every time I watch mm-hmm. that and it does not work. in this. I way. just never felt like, you know what? I don't feel like she was going to kill herself. I think that's mm-hmm. maybe something you don't play fast and loose with. Yeah. Maybe yes, I maybe think that's yeah. what it that's is. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Like, There's well, a lot of that, you know? But she, the, the, the suicide thing is also really confusing. I agree. I don't, I think it was a trap, but both Michael and Corey die with kind of suicidal mm-hmm. um, implications. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael, you know, the, the wrist and Corey literally stabs himself in the mm-hmm. throat. So, it to me it I, like I, I feel like it was something that they wanted to to say something about or do something yeah, with, but they I don't like where that road leads. Yeah, yeah. I don't like it either. And I but I to me it just it felt I understand that it was going to be a setup, but if it's going to be a setup, then those other two components make zero sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't flow with it because it, it's weird. Yeah, I agree. I think it was just a cheap way for them to be like, oh, is she giving in to her trauma? Right. Mm-hmm. Is she giving in to, you know, the public's view of her? Right. And then she's like, yeah. no, I'm not. And, and then like, she I don't does. Know, that's, yeah, that's just why I wonder, like, how much right. input Jamie Lee has. Because some of these, it's like, I know she loves this character and she's great and True Lies is a perfect movie. But, like, yeah. I just, like, don't, 
I just wonder if some of these choices, if she was like, you know what would be cool? What if we did this? And they're right. like, okay, Jamie. And then you see <laughs> her like do give in. Yeah. You do, like, one of the big flaws of this movie is you have literally two Halloween 1978 montages, <laughs> which to me, like, number one, if you think, like, people are coming to this movie and it's the first <laughs> movie they're seeing in this long running series, like, that's a problem. But also to end the movie with that montage again, again, it's like, you're just telling me I should be watching. You know, like, I don't need you. It's another instance of not trusting your audience. Like, it's saying Mm -hmm. at the end of the movie, hey, guys, it's really important because this is the last time they're ever going to interact with one another. So just so you know how important it is, here is their shared history. Like, it doesn't trust the audience to understand that these two people have, like, this deep shared connection, and this is a big deal. It just wants to spoon-feed you, which is weird, because, like, McBride and Gordon Green have done some really smart comedy. Like, you watch Weiss Principles, you watch Eastbound and Down. They're, like, fucked-up comedies, but they're really smart. Why they think their audience is too dumb to understand why this final moment's a big deal just it it blows my mind a little bit i wonder if it's studio you know i don't know that we gotta jam maybe maybe all right i just have a couple more things really quick i did read the novelization in preparation for this because why not um mike i bought them while we were recording you did the trilogy excellent you bought them on audiobook no. Um, kind of an audio book. Okay. Um, Sorry. It's, so, because what I understand with it is like the novelizations, even it follows the original script. So the things they add in there were just things that were removed later on. So it oh, does pick, it picks up where Halloween kills left leaves off. Like you get Allison being loaded into the van. She sees her mother in the window and then she's gone and she realizes she hears that Michael has escaped. And she knows what happens. And it goes into like a brief description of the next few years for Lori. And like Lori basically becomes almost like an insurrectionist. I mean, like she is like anti-government. She's on the hunt. Like she's even more of a hardcore NRA person. Like she completely goes feral and then eventually like bottoms out and comes back from it. Um, it talks about how Michael gets away. Uh, he basically, there's like an extended kill scene with a couple sanitation workers, and then he takes their truck. Um, the hunt is th- more there. And then it transitions into Corey's introduction in the beginning of this movie. Um, the novel does a much better job of letting the audience know how much Haddonfield is on the decline. Like you get the feeling that like people are leaving in droves. It feels like Haddonfield feels a lot like the uh, suburban edges of Detroit and it follows, Hmm. which is funny because it follows is supposed to make it feel like Haddonfield. (laughs) It feels like that kind of town where like it's on its last legs. You get that feeling here. Um, There's a lot more about what Michael does in between the two movies he essentially like number one, he hides out at some abandoned cabin where like a dad has like kidnapped his daughter. Um, and the daughter ends up killing the father and Michael recognizes, Oh, this girl has some of me in her. 
and leaves her alone. Um, the girl that Cam kisses at the Halloween dance, her and her new boyfriend, like they meet that night. They have a one year relationship. They end up getting killed at the abandoned meatpacking plant where Michael has been hiding for a year. And a really, it's a really good sequence. Like it would have been an awesome. Oh, and the boyfriend is driving a 1958 Cherry Red Plymouth Fury. Oh, so no. once again, like, yeah, of course. I was like scouring at the like at the junkyard. Mm-hmm. I was like, please mm-hmm. tell me there's like a Christine hiding yep. in there. Mm-hmm. I didn't see one. It actually would have been like a really good extended sequence i can understand why they cut it from the movie um but it was like a very good scene um and there is a lot more about Corey's mom and she is like way more bug nuts in the book um you it's implied that she killed her infant brother when she was a teen by like she knew that he liked to like kick his feet onto the table and lean back so they would move his height chair back and she moved it closer when nobody was looking and then left the room so he tipped over and crushed his head um she comes across like mrs deagle from gremlins like there are scenes of her literally going to like the bank and like craft stores she's obsessed with rabbit figurines and gets really upset when there aren't any out and starts haranguing the employees like she comes off as like fucking bananas it's also implied that she knows that Corey is a murderer like she's cleaning his clothes and sees all the blood and it's like realizes something is going on there um finally like the (laughs) oh yeah it's good i'm sorry to spoil it jen the um the go cancel that ending the the ending is slightly different so the in the ending of this when Frank, you know, Michael lives, he just like gets up, walks Does away. Does evil die tonight? Evil, evil doesn't die. No. The ending of this, like when Corey finishes her, man, when Lori finishes her manuscript, which do we mention how cringy her book was? Oh my God. Yeah. It's like the like class exposition, like times a million. Oh my God. Times, you know? That like, mm-hmm. if as an, as some, as, Jessica, as an editor, as someone that has to edit work, mm-hmm. I, I want to hear from you, like your thoughts on Lori's. I would, I would come back and say, let's <laughs> let's write an outline, let's establish a thesis. I feel like we're concluding every other sentence, and let's let's work on an outline on organizing the structure mm-hmm. of what you want to say. No. Is what I would go back with yeah. and no. say, no. yeah. <laughs> It's like, do you do you need to say evil changes shape fifteen different ways in <laughs> every shape? Shape. Right. Mm-hmm. What genre? What genre is this book? Is it self help? Is it poetry? It is her personal journal. That it's her she personal just needs memoir. To close and put underneath. Exactly. The bed. But there's no story. No. no. Shouldn't a memoir have a story? Shouldn't it be like? Yeah. Let me. Like here, here's what happened, and let me tell you my my experience. There's none of that. It's all like platitudes, and like right. here's this thought. Anyway, cherry blossoms. I have a hard time believing Lori Strode was a National Honor Society member. When you hear this story, <laughs> like I'm sorry, I I'm sorry. If to you think don't that, use it, you lose yeah. it. She yeah. was sad for forty. Trauma years. can show grief your tits. Exactly. The Lori Strode exactly. story. Exactly. Tra- trauma turns your brain into Swiss yeah. cheese. Sometimes I can attest to true. this. True. So okay, that's true. true. So the the at the end of the book, she deletes her whole manuscript. She writes the last line and deletes it. When Frank drops, that's off, good. That's good. 
Yeah. yeah. Which we all suggest you should do. That's when, good. When Frank drops off the vegetables for Lori, she basically gives him the cold shoulder. She's like, all right, thanks. And then she shuts the door in him. And then it describes all the locks that turn. Okay. Mm. So basically she's gone back to being the Lori from the beginning of 2018 it's also implied because he knows that she still has the mask. He's like, Frank sees something in Lori's eyes where he's worried. It's implied she may be the next shape. And it and it ends with like Lori breathing heavily as she walks through her home. No. Are you lying? I'm not kidding. Did wait, did Lori Strode I, write this novelization? Like right, exactly. <laughs> Besides that, it's very good. Like, it actually is pretty strong. I am so glad they didn't go with that. The other idea that David Gordon Green had that he didn't film, it after the, after, like, you know, Cherry Blossoms and Frank and Lori show, you know, their genitals to each other, like, hey, we're going to show grief our genitals, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever. When when Lori says show grief your your tits, like what people didn't know is Frank's nickname in high school was grief. Like that's literally what she's talking about. Um, wow. What's implied in in the other ending is in the ending that wasn't filmed. It was going to go to Santa Mira. It was going to go to the Silver yes. Shamrock factory, and it was going to be spitting out the three masks. But then it was going to start spitting out shape masks, and. Gordon Green was like, you know, that is a little bit too inside baseball, so let's mm. not even go with that. I kind of would have fucked. I would have loved. I would have stood up and cheered and run around the block yelling like, like the the Especially, town crier, like, "Go watch Halloween ends." It, I mean, it pans, it pans back. It's Tom Atkins running it. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> it's too. I mean, that's it's brilliant. It's fun. It's too much. <laughs> It's brilliant. It's too much. But so I, little about this movie says no one ever said at any point in this movie this is too much. So right. to do it then is kind of a bummer. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Absolute last thing, and then we're going to wrap this puppy up. <laughs> Easter eggs. I had a few. I had a few here. Megan is missing. Did anyone catch the billboard? No. I I've not, I won't watch that movie. I know no. about it. I'm Me like, no. nope. Nope. If someone suggested that as a comfort horror episode for my other show, I'd be like, you're banned. You're not guesting our show. I did like that has to be a tip of the cap to the movie Megan is missing. Like, no way it's not. Um, Nick Castle is a party goer opening his coat going, see anything you like. Like, I really like that. Um, There is graffiti that says love lives today. Um, Kylie Richards recreates that meme from Real Housewives at one point in the bar where she's holding Jeremy's mom back. It's literally that meme. Uh, for, so that was kind of funny. Um, and I don't know who put Dr. Kill here. So who wants to? Me. Rachel, what did you catch? So when they're when Corey's killing the doctor, this is me looking real hard, mm-hmm. but I felt like there was so many like nods to other horror films outside like of the Halloween franchise. Like, not, like not just Christine, like that's the most obvious one I think, but like when the, like the bag over the head, I felt like was like black Christmas, the corkscrew. Mm-hmm. I always think of Friday the 13th part four. Ted, where's the Allison was doing the Crispin Glover dance almost. 
from that movie. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. She totally. was. I, yeah. Yes. yes. That's very. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I think that's maybe probably also true. Uh, the tow truck, I think, is like a Texas chainsaw. Mm-hmm choice mm-hmm. yeah everything christine so much christine yeah. and stephen king um everything yeah. everywhere i love that you caught all these that is fantastic well, and the the going back to the doctor and assistant kill mm-hmm. like the assistant kill is very much bob from yeah. the first yeah. one. Yeah. oh yeah, yeah yeah you gotta have that yeah oh. and don't fear the reaper on the muzak in the grocery store when laurie yes good catch. yeah i like yeah. that Mm-hmm. Good. Which, if we know too. she's going to be the kill, the next killer is that a warning to Frank? <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm sure there's more. Too, oh yeah. So I'd be interested. In- Listeners, yeah. let us know. Like, please let us. I think it's implied that um, Terry, the band geek leader, is like Ben Tramer's nephew. I think is yes. part of the Tramers. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot. Well. I think we got it. I do. <laughs> I think we can. I don't. I wrote like some puns here for the going. Uh-huh. I, you know what? Like we're two and a half hours deep, and I got to go to work. <laughs> so basically, we are putting a pin in Haddonfield. It's the longest running of any of the franchise we had. I am sure that we will return to it at some point when they reboot this film in a few <laughs> years. Which uh. look. I'm there for it. I am never going to say no to more Michael Myers, more Jason, more Freddy, more Chucky. I'm okay with it because it. This movie is out, but Barbarian is out, Pearl is out, Smile is out, The Invitation is out. There's a Pray at Night coming out. There is enough room at the table for tons of different horror. So I'm okay in like three or four years. When Wes Anderson gives us his version of Halloween, and you're gonna go, it's like the theme on trombone it. or something. Oh my god, concertina. Bill Murray is the new yeah. oh, Jason Schwartzman is the new Laurie Strode. Oh, get Max Fisher. Oh. All right, I would watch the shit out of that. Oh, so yeah. Instead of like a jumpsuit, he's in pastels. These little, like, mm. little, oh my God. All right. When his Paltrow is Michael. Oh, God. <laughs> Love it. All right. Let's plug some shit. All right. Let's tell everybody <laughs> what we're up to. Nicole, what's going on with your pod? Um, stuff. All um, right. Fair enough. <laughs> Moving on. Jeff. <laughs> what's going on with the bodies of horror? Um, yeah. So, bodies of horror. Um, going strong um getting ever so close to episode 40 so that's exciting stuff um but yeah uh getting ready to do um i've been doing some older films i just did an episode on day of the triffids which uh, um was fine All right. um but it was really interesting and yeah gonna have um some guests on uh coming up which i'm so excited about i love having folks on because no one just wants to hear me talk for x amount of minutes so yeah it's going um very exciting stuff all right jessica how about yourself um i've always got you know reviews at we who walk here and film cred um a column coming up at dread central um a couple of halloween pieces coming up at slash film on zombie movies and on romero's filmography um 
and always podcast appearances and cosplay stuff. So you can always find everything I share on Twitter at we who walk here. All right. Excellent. Rachel. Yeah, I've got some interviews uh, percolating. Um, pretty soon I'll have an interview with Michael Yazerski, who just composed the score for the Pikmin's model episode of Cabinet of Curiosities, the Guillermo del Toro series, which I loved. Uh, Keith Thomas, the director of The Vigil, um, and a Firestarter, uh, <laughs> directed that episode. Um, and they then can't all be hits. I, yeah, I know. If you're playing baseball and hitting 500, you're doing really well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. can you imagine your second feature? You get Firestarter and are thrown into that machine. I can't mm-hmm. imagine. Uh-huh. Um, and then tomorrow, I'm interviewing Colin Stetson about his score for the menu. So, and those are both Dread Central pieces, yeah. and they're not out yet, so they'll be hitting Dread Central great relatively soon. Excellent, Jen. You never have anything going on, so like, oh no, just, never, uh, never. What do you got, Jen? Never. Oh, a ton of stuff. Um, I Losers Club, we just did an episode on the new um, It Simpsons episode. Listen to it. Treehouse of Horror. Yeah, that was really fun. Um, and then, and I'm not exactly sure what's coming up on Losers Club stuff. There's a lot of Dark, dark Tower stuff mm-hmm. that I'm not doing, but lots of fun stuff. So you're um, saying and- skip those episodes? <laughs> what you're saying i mean you know if you're a gen completist then you know but uh no they should be really fun and i'll i'll be listening to them but then writing wise i've got a piece i'm working on about naomi watts right now and then Hmm. um i'm not sure what my matriarchy rising piece is going to be but it's coming up soon so and where can we find matriarchy rising that is at Dread Central. My most recent one was on Goodnight Mommy. I feel like I'm plugging stuff all over the place. Um, but yeah, just lot, like you can find my writing on uh, Jen Ferratu. I post it all. And then, yeah, I'm writing a bunch of stuff. West Wing and The Crown for Slash Film stuff coming up. So, Excellent. Yeah, just follow me. I'll post it all. All right. Well, all right. listeners, you can hear my other show that I do with Jen. Jen yeah, right. <laughs> runs a, a very tight ship. She apparently <laughs> forgot about us completely. Oh, yeah. Hey, just... I'm not in charge tonight. I figured That's you were like... going to plug. plug All right. Sure. A likely story. Anyway, we came here to chew bubble gum. No, you can My hear. My brain just stops when the outline doesn't have pink in it. <laughs> Excellent. It does. Um, your outlines are color coded so wonderfully. They you know, like are little very color coded. And um, when it doesn't happen, I don't know what words are, you know. But you can hear Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast that Jen and I do along with Laura Understall, uh, where we look at horror through the lens of mental health. We're going through our patron picks right now. So we've recently done, uh, what, what the hell? Have, oh shit, what have we done? We uh, just did The Loved Ones. Thank you. We just did The Loved Ones, fun. which was a super fun episode that I really yeah, liked doing. Yeah, memorable. <laughs> we have... Um, <laughs> My brain is fried. Um, well, We've got look, Hellraiser is... coming up, which is going to be really exciting. Yes. Too. And then after that, um, Behind the Mask, The Rise of, of Leslie Vernon. Um, look, last show that I did, I forgot the intro to the show. I literally <laughs> froze because I forgot how we began our show. So It happens. It you does. Know? It does. Um, so you can hear us there. You can follow me at Mike underscore Snoonian for however long Twitter remains tolerable. You can also follow our show at Pod and Penned. I'm sure there'll be an alternative to Twitter at some point that will be usable. 
Uh, yeah. Go to our site, podandthependulum.com. Uh, you can get all of our back episodes there. I'll tell you what, now that Halloween is over, like what here's what we have coming up. We are going to be doing um, two more franchises by the, or starting up our next two franchises. We're going to be doing a little detour. We're going to be doing Orphan. So it's a two movie franchise, ah. easy peasy. Um, and that's going to give me the chance to get some more research done on our big franchise we're going to do next. Rachel gave us an awesome suggestion. We're going to be doing Phantasm. So Ooh. I'm currently going through the Phantasm Compendium and all the other books like Coscarelli is written on indie filmmaking. So we can give you and give that movie the treatment it deserves. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I feel like Phantasm fans are like a special breed. Like Mm -hmm. they're the hardcore of the hardcores and not in an unpleasant way. Like I've never met an unpleasant Phantasm fan. But when someone is like my favorite series is Phantasm, like, you know, like this is a special cat right here. (laughs) So and it's not a series I'm super familiar with. So hopefully I want to give it just a little space just so we can do it justice. Um all right, listeners, thank you so much for tuning into our show. If you're listening to this the day it drops, thank you for making us a part of your Halloween. If you like what you've heard, please take a moment to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts, rate us five stars, and review us with a few words about why you enjoy the show. We've gotten a couple like really nice reviews these past couple weeks. I really appreciate that. Um, not only does it mean a lot to me personally and lets me stoke my ego, um, but it goes a long way to like listeners finding us and allowing us to continue to grow. Uh, until next time, happy Halloween, everybody. Everyone deserves one good scare. They couldn't have to get it. Show Halloween your (laughs) There's a guy named Halloween right now, like Joe Halloween. Yes. And he's like, absolutely. Joe Halloween? (laughs) You gotta get Halloween. Uh, Again, we're almost three hours in. I got nothing. Was there a guy named Joe Grizzly in this? No, it was Joe Grillo. I thought that was a nod to. Oh, yeah. To Frank Grillo? Yes. No. Well, (laughs) I don't know. I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. All right. Show me.